0: This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff, kickoff, kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee.
1: Good morning. This Wednesday is July 12th. It's hot. It's humid. So what else do you need to know? First weather coming up in about 15 minutes. Nick's in the house behind the glass. Nick, good morning. Good morning. See, see the excitement I get? That's the guy that you were praising yeah, on the way in. He's
2: pretty good. I will. I
1: am praising him.
2: You should. You're you fortunate. Should. I'm telling you, Lee, you need to increase whatever salary you're paying
1: him. <laughs> you hear that, Lee? Uh, that doesn't come out of my payroll. Uh, Joe Godfrey, you just heard his voice. He's sitting in for uh mark heim who's on vacation you like what i brought you hey lee that's pretty good the, uh, the diet diet the drink it's really
3: good all I, right i need that to get my morning started nick off. is he
1: coming across okay voice wise i'm not uh, hearing him as i think so you can maybe pull the mic up a little all bit. right good okay, appreciate that it. nothing like getting uh settled in on the morning joe it's been a while since i've seen you well it's been a few years you haven't invited me in you know almost two years the room has
2: changed you got nick there now you got a so Somebody what do you think so what do you think of the new layout?
3: I like it. Really like it. You, you didn't know we had designed, whoever designed for that, this right? did
1: a great job. Who designed this? That would be all me. All me. That yeah, was Yeah, one Nick. thing about Nick, he does, he's not afraid to take credit for anything. He needs to. Yeah. because you don't pay him as much as you should pay. Exactly.
3: Well, we if d- I, first I, if of I'm all, I'm not going to get
1: compensated
3: <laughs> financially. I need to be compensated uh, in love and admiration.
1: One well, thing I like about Nick—he certainly doesn't have an ego problem, does he? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have an ego problem. Look at see, you like my this Nick got these uh, for us too. The WSP like pullovers. I really like that. So yeah, I he we did. Get, it. Do we get one of those for being a guest? Ask him. Yeah. The way you've been talking about him, I like would think you a shirt. <laughs> you want a shirt? Yeah, be a WNSP like shirt. Sure. All right. So well, that's on the agenda to go with your diet drink, Chick Fil A gift cards. Anything else? uh no that'd be fine all right so yeah. at least for starters right now joe godfrey is in the house so so happy to have him all right nick he's not going to be a big help to me on the all-star game did you watch it at all
3: what do you think the answer to that question
1: is? no i got two guys here <laughs> I, I i was going to raise some questions at least i have dan jennings coming on at 6 30 so I, I can't really get any reaction from either of you what were you watching summer league basketball
3: No, I was actually uh, watching a movie.
1: Oh, that's for when Mark comes back. That's right. Um, Joe, by the way, Nick, I don't know if you know this, Joe is really into the NBA, really into it. So that may crop up during the show today. Probably knows a little bit more than even you do because he's a little bit older than you are. Sure. Slight edge I have on him. A little bit. For whatever reason, do you, do you, you watch still a lot of – did you watch the summer league games yesterday? You know, I watched them in and out, not,
2: not the entire games, just spotted. But I really liked to watch the – when, how you pronounce it again? Uh, pronounce that Wimbiana?
3: name. Wimbinyama.
2: Wimbiyama. Lee, I really liked him. And I was really shocked a little bit when a lot of these national broadcasters, and they talked about how disappointing he was. That wasn't disappointing at all. You you could see the, the ability he's got. He's seven five, can take take the ball. Uh, let's can, go. I'm going to dial three. back
1: seven three and a half. They okay, say he
2: can dribble up the floor. He shoots the threes, and I, I see what they did. They took him out. Only played two games, and I can see why. You don't want to get this guy hurt. You know he's so fragile right now, and they'll get him in. You know they'll get him into a system. I
1: think he's going to be a great one. Plus, you got to protect him from the fans, pats on the back and things like that.
2: <laughs> well, those things happen.
1: So you and Nick are on the same course. You both think he's going to be all this and all that. Obviously, the expectations are sky high. You know how it is in, in, in this country. They, they put all these expectations on you and you know they got this guy already leading him to a championship this year well the second day he played
2: he had 12 points 12 rebounds I don't know how many blocks I can see that almost every game that'll be like 20 points 20 rebounds and five block shots Uh, I think
1: he's going to be one of the all-time best if he can avoid getting hurt see the thing too and and that's I've heard that from others too again that is the key because remember last year Nick Holgren Oklahoma City out for the whole year that's He's only 19. People are just throwing things on this guy. You know, he's only 19. He's never. In a different country. Exactly. But but he's with the right program. San
2: Antonio, you know, the guy's a lot of that. So much coaching experience down there. And uh, so I think he's going to be fun to watch.
1: All right. To the uh, headline, the National League won the All-Star game. Not that you two care. Uh, Three to two. And it's the first time they've won an All-Star game since 2012. We are hoping to have Dan Jennings join me. Uh, we can talk about this game. Here's here's my take. The uniforms, I, 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 they look like softball uniforms that the uh, National League was wearing. I, I know I'm old school. All right, that's that's okay. But why can't they just wear their regular uniforms? They did it in the home run hitting contest. They wear the, people identify with that. They're wearing these uniforms that look like softball uniforms. i'm I'm like, who who approves stuff like this? What, what's the what's the deal? By the way, did you see what the average ticket price was yesterday? It was over six hundred dollars. And for good seats, and i I'm not familiar with the Seattle Stadium, they were over two thousand dollars to see an exhibition. Now, granted, In my mind, and in the minds of many who follow sports, the all-star game in baseball is the best all-star game that reflective of regular season, as opposed to NBA hockey, and there is no uh, NFL all-star game anymore.
2: Lee, I like the uniforms. You didn't even see the game. No, but I I saw a spot of it a little bit. Those dark? Yeah, that's... You know we're in a new era now. You got to come with it, right Nick, Nick, help me. Hey, Nick, help <laughs> this guy out. Get
1: him out of here. <laughs> what? First, what you, those uniforms are garbage. We're in a new era, Lee. I know. And uh, but what's wrong with wearing your team's uniforms, at, identifying with the team? Well, that would that would have been good too. But it's
2: something different, you know. We're in. It's a different age group now.
1: I know. It's that. I know. You but you didn't even watch the game.
2: No. So you
3: I, I didn't need to watch it. I just
1: but where, you, but where did you but where did where did you see the uniforms?
2: I just heard a spot on the ESPN there. Oh okay. All right. It's about I was just
3: merchandising Lee. Money. Now they have new jerseys to sell to the fans.
1: See, it always comes down to money. That's right. All right. Um Joe, let's get to a serious issue, Northwestern. A- and this and all kidding aside, you having spent many, many years in athletic administration as an AD, what is Northwestern facing, number one? Uh, the attorney for Pat Fitzgerald has come out and said he, his client was fired with cause. He's researching to see what they can do. You know the story, right, about him? I do. Hazing. Okay. You know about the hazing. I, I We always have questions. You know, Fitzgerald says he didn't know anything about it, and yet— they're keeping the entire staff and the support staff. It's hard for me to believe that nobody knew that something was going on. Well, you can also throw in,
2: I think he's was four and twenty in the last two or three years, and new president, I believe, you know, came in. So uh, you think
1: that had something to do with it? You know, it could
2: have well, on Friday, they're gonna keep him and then come back on Monday. Somewhere in the the pressure that it mounted on this president, that he had to you know switch and make an, another decision. But you know Lee, he was one of the most respected. He had chances to move on. He was like Eric Parsegian at Northwestern, and uh, I, I'm shocked
1: they kept everybody except but him. him. Yeah. So okay, so he's he's the face of the school. He's been that way for over 20 years. I mean, great player. Seventeen years as a coach. I've had some pretty good wins along the way, and a couple of good for seasons. Northwestern. For Northwestern, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't. Obviously, we don't know all the details. First of all, do you get a, a when you're fired like that, Joe? Do you have to have a hearing? Do you have to give him his say? Oh yeah, the, and I'm sure they did that. Opposed to what happened in West Virginia, if you followed. The Huggins All right, let's hold off on that one for just a second because I want to stay with Fitzgerald so we don't get too confused on this issue. So Fitzgerald claims he did not know about the hazing that was going on. And then the student newspaper came out with an expose over the weekend, and that's what led to the firing. Uh, I'm just curious, when that newspaper does – does the president summon Fitzgerald in and, and we talk about it? Well, I would hope so that they did that. But I think I don't know anything about the president, Lee, in the
2: background. Of, but a lot of times, you know, it's, they can't handle the pressure from, from media pressure, whatever kind of pressure it might be. And uh, But I was shocked that it went from Friday to Monday. They didn't hire, fire him on Friday when they had, they had a, how many months to look at that report? Yeah, cetera, that was like a university.
1: Uh, they hired an outside firm. To do the I investigation. thought the university did. They had an outside firm I, that did this. From what I read, but they, yes. But they the, they came back, and I'm not trying to defend Fitzgerald. They came back with a report that he he didn't know about it. Now, is that good enough or do Because he's the the CEO of the team, that you know you hold him accountable for everything.
2: Well, obviously, in this particular case, they did. <laughs> Uh, and they didn't, re- you know, they didn't fire any of the staff or the support staff.
1: That's what really surprised yeah, me I too. W-
2: I think you're going to find, and I don't know all the particulars, but
1: he's going to come back for a lawsuit on this one. Oh, for sure, I, I don't doubt that at all. So let's go now to step B, the baseball coach. Came off with a record of ten and forty. Chicago Tribune says the school is also investigating Jim Foster, baseball coach, for bullying, and a whole bunch of other things. So now they're looking into this. How does he keep his job? Well,
2: without knowing any of the particulars, there's got to be some reason why he's keeping it and for why Fitzgerald got fired. Um, and here's the other thing. I saw one of the comments one of the Northwestern players said that he wanted him fired. You know Now, if you look in the background on this particular kid, probably he's not getting to play very much, whatever like that, or he's got not, get his scholarship renewed. But I, I'm just shocked because of the reputation nationally Fitzgerald had. Now, you got to know everything that's going on in your program. I mean, you got enough support staff, enough coaches, enough managers that if that's going on, you had to know that. That's and how bad was the hazing? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but why would you even do hazing today? I mean, if
1: that—that's uh, why I'm shocked that the coaches even knew about it. Or he did. Who, who would have thought? Here we'd be talking about Northwestern both in football and baseball. baseball. I mean, when it comes to sports, as great a school as Northwestern is, it's kind of irrelevant when it comes to sports, especially in the Big Ten. And like I said, the baseball program was 10 and 40. They had at least 12 players, according to the Chicago Tribune, transfer immediately after the end of the season. Uh, and I guess that's the next step to see what they do with their baseball coach well that's
2: going to be interesting i don't think there would i don't think they're going to do anything they're going to get through this and not have another you know blemish on the record or whatever it might be but northwestern is you know competitive in many ways in the big 10 but they're like vanderbilt in the sec you know almost two identical situations
1: so we're going to take a break we're going to update weather traffic and i've got a scoreboard not too many scores but we've got some headlines to tell you about when we come back and then kind of a uh, you know how highly recruited players have these quirky ways of announcing we got something new on this something that nobody has ever done before and it has to do with a edge rusher out of hawaii and the way he made his an announcement so stay tuned for that and uh, like i said uh, we'll take a look at some of the headline stories coming up and also what's going on at wimbledon Djokovic still alive he's in the uh, semis a, r- a record-breaking uh, performance again for Nick and Joe, I'm Lee Shervanian. You're listening to WNSP and WNSP.com.
4: Hey, this is Bucket Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in
0: Mobile. Now going 2-2 to Diaz. is hit in the air to deep left field. Back. Two years old and his All-Star debut,
1: a go-ahead home run. MVP of the All-Star game, one of the most least likely guys probably uh, to be the difference in the game. By the way, and he, I don't think he's related to the other Diaz, uh, Yandy, Yandy Diaz had a home run for the American League earlier in the game. All right, let's set the stage for today. Uh, Dan Jenning is expected to join us at 6.30 to talk about the All-Star game. And then we uh, will move on. Now, Dan had some pretty important guests yesterday. Joe, in fact, I got a lot of feedback on the George Brett interview. But you didn't want to be outdone by him today, did you? No,
2: but Lee, I, I listened to that interview. I was really very impressed. He's a sharp guy. Uh, he knows a lot of people. And but anyway, uh, yeah, Dan, it's always tough following Dan. But I was going to ask Dan though, when George Brett was he ever Player of the Year? In the big leagues in any particular year, do you know? MVP? MVP. He said he was. He did mention that yesterday. Yeah. Would that be
1: better than a Heisman Trophy winner? You know, let's ask somebody who has no knowledge about anything. Nick, Nick, you want to weigh in on that? What's more important, winning a Heisman Trophy or being named an MVP in baseball?
3: A Heisman Trophy. Look at that. Heisman
1: Trophy. Did you guys, like, connect before you came in? Did no. you have, like, a conversation? great no, minds like- think
3: alike, Lee. Well, I'll say that again, Nick. Great minds think alike.
2: Good. I like that. What do you think of that, Lee? Uh, I can't disagree with it. I don't know if that, uh, you know, Heisman Trophy We win every win- Probably they're very similar. If you're the best in the big league, that's like the Heisman. So who is it? Uh, I still take the Heisman. No, no. I mean, who's the guy that you got on today? Oh, uh, Johnny Rogers. Johnny Rogers. 1972. Goes back. Heisman trophy. You know, what a, what an outstanding player. I got a lot of fun stories on
1: him. I don't know if he'd like for me to tell him, but, uh, what a great player. Well, think about some, we only have about eight or nine minutes with him. So that's okay. All right. Uh, Also first timer, Peter Burns, ESPN. Nick, I think he'll be up at Nashville uh, this coming – well, next week when you guys go up there. We're sending our uh, four people up there, our rookie team. Our rookies are going up there all for the first time, and they're going to be covering the SEC Media Day. So there's some questions I have for Peter Burns. Also, uh, Chris Stewart, Alabama, uh, play-by-play voice, baseball, basketball, and some football. Uh, Ross Jackson at 7 on Kamara. He's with the uh, Crescent City. And then you lined up another guest at 8.30. Andy Kennedy, head
2: basketball coach at UAB. And he's had a fantastic record, 78 and 71 and 25, three years at UAB. And he was in NIT finals
1: last year. And the local story here is that Barry Dunning has transferred to UAB. Plus, they're moving into a new conference. So we can talk about that also with Andy Kennedy, a former JAG assistant coach. Back in the early 80s. And also uh, a UAB player who burned South Alabama a lot with his scoring.
2: Many times. You know, he, he started his career at North Carolina State and then uh, transferred to UAB and played internationally. After he finished at UAB, had the Charlotte Hornets for a while. and uh, But, boy, he's done a fantastic job at UAB. Hopefully we can get him down here at some point.
1: All right. Uh, I don't know how good this is for radio, but I'm going to talk about it. So there's this – I don't know, one one source said three-star, the other said four-star, who knows. But he's an edge rusher in Hawaii, so he, he was going to uh, make his commitment. I think he was considering Wisconsin, Washington, Arizona State, and Hawaii. So what he did was, and this is obviously unique, so he had four of his friends line up on the dock, okay, on the dock, obviously with water below them. So what he did was he would go – and start pushing one of his friends into the water to indicate that school was eliminated. Of the four schools, which school do you think he decided to go to? Uh, it was Washington, Arizona State, Hawaii, and Wisconsin. Hawaii? No. He picked Wisconsin. So he pushed three of his friends into the water. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, the, see, that's stuff Nick could come up with. Well, Nick has come up with a lot of things like that. So he says, all right, we're going to take a break and uh, find somebody to talk all-star baseball game with me. Nick didn't watch it. Joe didn't watch it. I hope Dan Jennings watched a little bit of it, and we'll talk to him when we come back. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Uh, It is uh, July 12th. It's hot. It's humid. See, I I could be a meteorologist. Hot, humid. Chance of rain. You no, know, it's it's not humid outside though. Not I, yet. It didn't feel like. S- well, in here it's not. Uh, no, I mean even
2: outside, I thought it was seventy-eight degrees. And really, I'd had my windows down when I was driving. Wait until here. you leave.
1: Well, I've, I've been here long enough <laughs> to know <laughs> Joe that. Joe Godfrey sitting
0: in for more. Two on, two out, and a two-two pitch from Miras
5: The league's finally back on top. Its first All-Star Game win since 2012.
1: The National League finally. I think they've only won like four out of the last. I well, said 26, maybe it was a, an error, but that they haven't been doing too well in the All-Star Game. I'll tell you somebody who's doing very well, Van Jennings, Assistant GM of the Washington Nationals. Danny, good morning.
6: Good morning.
1: How are you? Joe Godfrey is with me today, and he did not want to be, let's say, let's say, what's the correct word? He he didn't want to be upped by you getting George Brett. So what did you do, Joe? <laughs> well, I figured I've had to send some, find somebody, and I did.
2: 1972, Johnny Rogers won the Heisman Trophy. Now, Dan, I don't know if I upped you on that but I maybe matched you on that. Uh,
6: I guarantee you that's pretty strong. I can remember watching Johnny run. He was pretty special, very special.
2: You know, it was interesting. He was such a good runner, but he and his mom, when he was very three or four years old, they lived in a in a you know a house in a the neighborhood, they didn't have bathrooms. And he'd wake up in the middle of the night, he would tell us, and uh, he would run to the bathroom. And this, uh, I can't think of what the name of the kind of an animal it was, but he had to dodge that animal to get to the outhouse. <laughs>
1: and that's where he became such you know, a good runner it
6: worked, back on the punch. It was good.
1: <laughs> Dan, what did you take away from the All Star game? You're the only one I can talk to who watched it. My co host today didn't. My producer didn't. What did you take away?
6: You know what, Lee? I have to tell you, I sat and I watched every pitch. Uh, it it had the feeling of a real baseball game, but really right off the bat with two tremendous defensive plays in the outfield and uh, with uh, Garcia and a Rosarina And I thought it kind of set the tone, you know, of, uh, man, this is, this is the focus that you need to, to create that, that aura of this game is meaning something. I thought the fan base in Seattle, they were in tune to it, certainly cheering for their guy uh, Rodriguez. It was kind of funny. They uh, they had a little bit of a play on Otani, you know, almost as if encouraging him to uh, come to Seattle. And uh, and overall, I just thought that uh, there was some great at bats, uh, some some really hard hit balls throughout and. You know, it come down to a two-run home run and a come-from-behind situation to uh, to seal a victory for, what, first time in 12 years, I think?
1: First time in nine years, 2012? That's what they said. It would, yeah, well, it'd be more than nine years in, right? I mean, they hadn't won since yeah. 2012. Was there uh, an MVP least likely? than elias diaz i mean this guy was in his first all-star game i think i read where he was signed by the pirates in 2007 as a 17 year old they released him in 2019 and i guess you'd have to say he's kind of a journeyman and he, he gets the mvp no
6: doubt about it you know what that tells you if you have a dream if you have a belief in yourself don't give up continue to battle for it fight for it and somewhere if you continue to look hard enough those opportunities opportunities will present themselves and uh that's certainly what diaz has done and now he's a major league all-star and the mvp of the all-star game my only—I I, will—I will say this. I have to say one thing that I truly wish they would stop doing, and that is to create these hideous uniforms. I wish they would go back to each team wearing their own uniforms uh, and representing the organization that they're there to represent. I—the—the the National League uniform, albeit they won the game. Wow, that was uh, that was bad. That that looked like Johnny's car wash team playing over at a beer league <laughs> softball game. Just bad, Johnny's
1: car wash. So that was going to be my next question. I was actually going to ask you because I mentioned this earlier. Joe said the uniforms were fine, although he didn't watch the game. I saw, I said the same thing. I said they look like a softball team out there, and I said, why don't you just wear your regular uniforms? They're, that's what I enjoy. I know I'm old school on that, but thank you, Danny.
6: I appreciate that. Oh man, I mean, you know what? When you, I think of the National League and the beautiful uniforms of the Cardinals and and the Dodgers and the Nationals. You know, I mean, there there are so many teams and just you know what some of those young kids in Seattle that and I know right now we're playing interleague play in different things but not every year does the each National League team go to the American League cities and I just think it creates such an aura about the game and the the visualization of wow look at that cardinal with that beautiful red bird on that bat that's just gorgeous you know and uh, again small but in a way very big and I I Hey, good for Johnny's car wash. They won last night, but boy, they got to do better in the uniform department. They were
1: hideous. Who who comes up <laughs> with that? I know Nick said it's merchandising. I get it, but who who's responsible for those drab uniforms?
6: I mean I'm sure just what Nick alluded to that it's to do with uh you know the merchandising part and you know they had a, the American League kind of had a play on Seattle's uh, home uni and that's fine paying homage to the the host city but again I just I think baseball is such an iconic sport with You know that you visual a lot. I mean, come on, man! You got the home team, and you got Yankee guys and Yankee pinstripes. Does it get any better than that? So, a little bit of that. Maybe it's old school, but I again, I think that uh, it just you you take away from what is so special about
1: baseball. You are so right. And where it really got me was when they were introducing the starting lineups on the red carpet, surrounded by all those young kids and they come out with those awful-looking uniforms. I, 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 I like the way they presented the players. I didn't like what they were wearing. They obviously went the extra mile with the the, the little boy running the bases before the game. Yes. They they do come up with some really unique stuff. And I'll say this for, for Rob Manfred, obviously not one of my favorites, but I can't think of a press conference he's ever had where everything was so positive. I mean, the attendance is up. Uh, The games are faster. There's more action. He had it all going for him yesterday. Yeah,
6: I mean baseball's going in a good direction. I the, the the new rules, whether you and I mean I was one of the guys at first I was yeah, I'm not sure about this one or this one. It has accomplished exactly what the intentions were. And man, I think the fans, you know, the action, the 14 or in the big leagues 15 second clock and things like that, they've been good to create a flow that uh that creates a, an interest level that's positive. So a lot of things are good. I sure hope they will reconsider the uniforms and go back to, uh, you know, letting each organization wear what, what makes 30
1: teams special. There were certainly a, num- uh, a number of Diazes in the game. <laughs> was Yandy had a homer, Elias had a homer, and I think there was a pitcher or two with the last name of Diaz.
6: Yeah, that you know, there was a strong uh, Latin presence there. And, again, it shows you uh, – the love and the passion that the uh, the Latin countries have for our great sport, and then uh, and you can you can just see the kids there in the dugout, you know, and they're they're having fun with each other and they're enjoying the moment. And, you know, I mean, yesterday when we had George Brett on, he talked about how he disliked some of the guys that he played against when he was coming up. But after retirement and now, you know, they're they're best of friends. Um, so I think that part of the game has probably changed and evolved. But the passion, pure passion, of these Latin kids from these countries, and in a lot of ways, it's their only way, their only way out, and they love the game, and it shows in how they play and perform.
2: Dan, I've got a—I think I'm going to change my opinion. Johnny's car wash. <laughs> <laughs>
6: hey, I—I I don't mean to—I uh, don't mean to take shots at Johnny, but <laughs> we got to get a better uni, Johnny.
1: <laughs> Dan, let me—the only. I would say – I don't know if there's anything that can be done about this, but the announcers many times talked about the fact that the batters had a terrible time uh, out of the the sun and the shadows – trying to pick up pitches and things like that. I don't know if there's anything that can be done about that. Obviously, the time of the game had a lot to do with that. But, I mean, you're facing premier pitchers out there, and all of them throwing, what, 98, 99. And these poor batters are having to pick up the ball at the last second coming out of the sunlight.
6: Yeah, that you know, I think that goes back, Lee, to trying to get it in prime time, East Coast, Central, and, and uh, Pacific time. And, you know, there's really no there's no optimum place to, or I mean, optimum time to do that to where, you know, you're not running into something that could be a little different. But, uh, and I'll tell you something. The other thing that I liked a little bit is the uh, earpieces uh During the actual inning of play it's an exhibition game, and I think it's great uh I know juan Soto's inning when he had his he had a pretty active inning out there with a lot of uh a lot of fly balls and ground balls to him. Uh, I'm not a fan of it on the pitcher because I think there's so much concentration and focus that needs to happen versus a, a pitcher talking while he's actually going through his delivery. Uh, but I did like it with the uh, I did like it with the position players and occasionally a batter
1: during the game. At one point, at one inning, the entire National League infield Atlanta Braves has that ever happened before with another team? Back when I can't remember, I didn't know Uh, if they brought that up at all. They mentioned that the entire infield, uh, from first to third, uh, Atlanta Braves. But I don't know if any other team has ever had that before.
6: My guess would be somewhere over the history of the game, it probably has. You know, with some of the great, you know, you think back to that great Dodger group of infielders, would say and Lopes and Garvey, and you know, some of the Cardinals and/or Yankees. Uh perhaps it's happened somewhere, but it just shows you uh I mean man, that number one, it's a great tip of the cap by Rob Thompson, the the National League manager, to uh to do that and uh and pay respect to just how good the Braves are in the and the great year that they're having this year.
1: Danny, I think the All Star game, I think it started about nineteen thirty two, give or take. So Tinker to Everest to chance, they weren't around then were they? <laughs>
6: <laughs> I don't know. That, that's before I wasn't scouting then. I was working at Johnny's Car Wash. <laughs> hey, uh,
1: have you ever been a Grand Marshal ever parade? Uh, no. Well, no. we found out that my co-host Joe Godfrey is going to be a Grand Marshal.
6: You know, I just I aspire to try to get to that level. As I told you yesterday, he's at the top of the mountain. I'm just looking up <laughs> at what he's accomplished.
1: Joe, what what in this? What's this
2: all about? Well, I coached. Uh, began my coaching career in 1963 and through '69, six years at a school in Ohio, small school, rural school, Mo- Bloomville High School. And uh, we started out. Uh, they before I got there, Lee, they were 19 and one, and uh, the coach left, and uh, they hired me. We were 8 and 13. The coach who had left went to Michigan then he resigned his job and came back and carried groceries out, tried to get the job back. And I'm sitting there 8 and 13, you know, <laughs> right out of college. But anyway, then we went 85 and 27 in the next five years, 59 and nice. 10 in the last three. And But anyway, uh, they invited my wife and I back for a big parade that they annually do. And uh, we're going to be the grand marshals, Lee. It's, uh, uh, you know, I. And I really appreciate that. That's uh, you know a really nice compliment from from the people there. The day before, they're going to have a you know big reunion of all my teams for six years, and uh, we're going to do that at the American Legion Hall. And uh, so um, it's it's going to be fun to go back. And I haven't seen some of those guys for 50 so, years. So
1: don't you think you want to throw beads or something? You know, I maybe I don't know if they do that,
2: but I could start a Mardi Gras.
1: Yeah, start maybe your own. Maybe I, you go. A, maybe I start throwing them.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
6: That's a good well, idea. I'd say, hey, you know what? That's a great honor, and it just shows you the impact and the impressions you left on those people, which is not surprising.
1: Well, thanks, Dan. Danny, I really appreciate you coming. Johnny's aboard. car wash. <laughs> <Johnny's
6: come laughs> yes, sir. Let's get Johnny some love out there today, could we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'll follow up with you to see how that uh, softball team is doing later on in the week, okay? <laughs> thanks. You got it,
6: guys. Have a great week.
1: And I'm, I'm serious. That was going to be my next question about the uniforms. Of course, neither of you saw the game. Uh, I'm back for getting uniform, team uniform. Team uniforms. How about you, Nick? Team, well, like we wear team uniforms here. Look at my, my NSP jersey, right? So Nick's on board. What about, like, team uniforms, but they're in
3: a different kind of
1: color or something? I'm okay as long as – I just think the player should be identified with his team. Th- that's that's what I always liked. And, and as Danny pointed out, some very – you know, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, some very iconic uniforms and pinstripes of the Yankees. And these guys are all wearing the same – well, we, we don't need to go back into that, do we? <laughs> all right, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll come back. Joe's also, uh, in addition to being Grand Marshall, we've got a very important camp that's starting today, is it, at Spring Hill? Yes. All right. I want you to talk about that. Nick's on the board. Uh, Joe Godfrey joining me, Lou Shirvanian. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Ross Jackson, Crescent City Sports, updating us on Alvin Kamara. Peter Burns, SEC ESPN Network. You'll probably run into him up there in uh, Nashville, Nick. He's going to join us for the very first time. And then Johnny Rogers, Heisman Trophy winner, 750 this morning.
2: This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP.
0: runs 80 stolen bases here's an opposite field fly ball deep to the track and a leaping grab made by garcia highlight play to begin the all-star game that's
1: how the uh that's how the game started yesterday ronald acuna sent a fly ball to the right center right center field fence and that guy went back and robbed him and there was another great play in the first inning that uh held the national league at bay but they did win the game three to two hey let's call in roy hudson from Community Bank. Roy, good morning. How are you today? I'm
7: doing well, and it seems like you're having a fantastic morning there with Mr. Gottfried sitting in from, from our time. This is uh, this is a privilege talking to two uh, legendary sports figures in Mobile. So good morning well, to you well, guys. Thank you.
1: Well, I look, I don't want to take away from Joe. He's really the legendary, iconic sports figure. He's done so much for this um this community, as his brother Mike, and we're going to talk more about that, Roy. After we're done talking to you, because Mike's in town for Team Focus, and they've got a camp. Oh, fantastic,
7: fantastic! Yeah, those two individuals are just incredible. What they have done, just just fantastic.
1: Kind of what you've done for Community Bank.
7: That's right. You know, Bo uh, Bill here. Well, since we've come here, we love giving the uh, the customers here just fantastic products and services, and uh, yeah, similar, very very similar.
1: Uh, tell our listeners why they should bank with you.
7: I think what it is, Lee, we we go out and we get, you know, you're talking about the all-star game, you know, that's a deep bench. And what, what we like doing is getting experienced bankers with a desire to take care of our customers. You know, we focus on integrity. We focus on the latest products. So I think that's what sets us a little bit different than the other banks is just how we deliver those products and services. So I invite everybody into one of our offices or they could give us a call at 338-7707.
1: What advice would you give Nick when he talks to Hugh Freeze next week? What what questions should he bring up?
7: Uh, that, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. I guess we are getting to football time. Uh, I guess the big thing is going to be who's under center or, or in the shotgun. Uh, it's really going to hinge on how that quarterback plays. I think Auburn's got some pieces, but, you know, it all goes around that guy back there calling the plays. So we'll see what happens.
1: Great having you on, Roy. Thank you ever so much. We'll be in touch. All right, thank you. So, Joe, team focus, still going strong, still going strong. Your brother, amazing. And what's what's going on today? You know, Lee, he, let me go back a little bit. He had a vision. You know, we lost
2: our father at a very young age. I'm two weeks away from my 16th birthday. Mike's 11, younger brother, Johnny, 7. And my father had a massive heart attack, coronary thrombosis, and passed away at age 41. Mike always wanted to start a program, Boys Without Fathers. And when he got with ESPN, he had time then. He never had time when he was coaching, though. And so he started, and they're in over 20 years now. And they've been in, I think, almost nine states at one particular time. But uh, they have their camp, annual camp at Spring Hill College, and it runs from today through Saturday. And they'll have different speakers come in and talk to them, et cetera. And uh, there's so many success stories, Lee, uh one of the ones i'll tell you real quick back in ohio he had to camp in ashland college where he used to coach and uh one of these kids from galleon ohio came in long hair and whatever like and mike said you're gonna have to get your hair cut and he said i'm not doing it so he sent him home year later he comes back his haircut but here's a kid that was in four five foster homes in four years mom was in prison didn't know anything about his dad and his brother was in prison. And he was probably heading the same way. And, uh, but team focus changed his entire life. And he would tell you that he's married now as an insurance company, as a child. And, uh, but anyway, that's what they, they these are kids that relate to each other because they're, they all go through something. And when you're missing the dad at home, you know, it's so important that now they've got a staff they got counselors, et cetera, like that.
1: Yeah, this is not a typical sports camp. This is not like going to a soccer, volleyball, or basketball camp. You want to expound upon well, it?
2: Well, Lee, actually, they do all those fun games, you know, play like that. And, uh, and they teach the kids and go through. Inter- in fact, I'm going to be one of the interviewees on Saturday night. Uh, there will be a, a group of individuals, and they'll come in and tell these kids how to interview for a job. And uh that's something that's really overlooked, and I found that out. Very few schools even teach that.
1: But you got to know how to interview if you want to get a job. It started in Mobile, but it's really expanded. What, how many states now is Team Focus? You know, right now they've got,
2: I think, two camps in Kentucky and uh, one in Ohio and uh, one in Mobile. And, uh, but I'm telling you, they were in California different places when when they raised enough money to be able to do that but that's the money has gotten tight
1: over the years so i think they're down to three states right now joe do you know it's probably not fair to put you on the spot like this but just a round figure how many youngsters you've affected over well, yeah, the years i think
2: they've had over six thousand, is what they've come up with over the 24 years and the camps back then were you know a lot much bigger than they are now because the cost of uh, it doesn't cost these kids to go to camp. They stay in the dorm at Spring Hill. They eat the meals in the Spring Hill dining hall. And they get around that collegiate atmosphere. And uh, that's another way for them to think about going to college. But I'm telling you, the stories after stories. Uh, if you Do ever,
1: most of them wind up going to college?
2: Not necessarily. And uh, if they don't, they always, the group there, their staff is trying to help them find a job. So that this, you know, the staff is taking the place of their dads and they the moms come in and christy my daughter when she used to work with them they had a mom's program which they still do and uh but i'm telling you it's, lee it's highly highly successful and i give mike and mickey his wife all the credit in the world
1: we're loaded up at seven ross jackson crescent city sports on alan Kamara, peter burns sec espn at 7:30. Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Rogers, 7.50 this morning.
2: 1972. I remember him. I
1: remember him. Nebraska.
0: Opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee.
1: Mark's on vacation. Joe Godfrey, uh, kind enough to come in and sit in with me this morning. Uh, Nick behind the glass. It is July twelfth. It'll be very hot today. See, yeah, very hot every day. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's <laughs> hot. Rain, probably some rain, maybe. Probably some rain. All right. Headlines: Colorado's only All-Star rep. Last night's All-Star game. Elias Diaz two-run home run in the eighth inning was the difference. National League's first win in the uh, over the American League, three to two, since 2012. Diaz was appearing in his first All-Star game. The game ended. Craig Kimbrell struck out Jose Ramirez with two runners on to preserve the win. And the attorney for Fired Northwestern, uh, head football coach Pat Fitzgerald, says his client was let go for cause. He's looking into legal strategy to file a suit. And uh, another major story, (coughs) Alvin Kamara. And to that, we go to Ross Jackson from Crescent City Sports. Ross, good morning and welcome to the show this morning. How are you today?
8: Hey, guys. Good morning. I'm doing great as always. Appreciate you having me on. I hope you're I'm, doing well.
1: I'm going to let you update everything we need to know about the legal, legal issues with Alvin Kamara.
8: Yeah, so basically he had a criminal case in Las Vegas as well as a civil case here in New Orleans that were both stemming from the February 2022 altercation that was caught on video at a Las Vegas nightclub. This all took place during an NFL-sanctioned event, the Pro Bowl. We'll talk about why that's important a little bit later. But um, you know, basically, these both of these cases and all of Alvin Kamara's legal uh, sort of proceedings have finally come to an end. It was originally a July 31st trial date set. For the Las Vegas criminal case, that will no longer you know, be necessary because uh, basically what happened with the criminal case in Las Vegas is that the felony charge of conspiracy to commit battery resulting in bodily harm was dropped to a misdemeanor, I believe, assault charge. But most, most important is the de-elevation of his uh, charge from a felony charge to a misdemeanor charge. So he pled no contest to that charge. Uh, walks away in that case with a thousand dollar bill in terms of medical bills for the victim, five hundred dollar fine, and then he'll have thirty hours of community service that he'll need to complete within the next ninety days. And then as for a civil case here in New Orleans, those were um, that that case was settled on confidential terms, so we don't know what terms of that settlement w- was, but it has been settled, and so that's all done. So Alvin Kamara's legal battle is now over. I mean, he has clarity around that. The New Orleans Saints have clarity around that. Fans now have clarity around that. So the next step is once the NFL completes its independent invest investigation, which could be days, could be weeks, we'll see, uh, they will hand down their discipline, uh, which is expected to still be a multi-game suspension, even though it wasn't a felony, but maybe that suspension time comes down with the drop from a felony to a misdemeanor.
1: So as far as we know now, Kamara is home free as far as practicing with the team. Can even if he gets yeah. suspended, can he still be a part of the team, practicing and going through everything you need to go through?
8: Yeah, usually you're able to continue on through practice. Uh, obviously, there are exceptions in certain cases and things like that. Uh, but usually, you're you're able to continue on through training camp, and then once the season begins, you go on to a uh, you know a, a, either a, an exempt list or a suspension list and therefore you're not counting against the 53-man roster. But while you're actively serving the suspension of games, you're not able to be at practice. But usually it's, I think, two weeks before you return to the playing field, you're able to return to practice and things like that. It, It kind of varies depending upon the terms of the suspension, but usually those are the ways that those parameters will work out.
2: Well, I tell you, he is a good player i really enjoy watching him play but it, it it is good news that perhaps this thing is going to be pretty well completed uh when you see before the season starts
8: yeah absolutely i mean it gives the, the new world Saints a lot of clarity here in terms of what to expect i mean i think we're still expecting a multi-game suspension here i think you have to you know the the sort of parameters that were originally set with the felony charge is that, you know, the NFL's code of conduct policy has a a floor of six games for a suspension for a a first offense for a player who's involved in a felony charge. That includes something violent that, that also goes along with family violence, domestic violence, um, you know, assault charges, things like that. Uh, Marital violence, all of that is all included there. And so uh, I think that that, Drops now, because you're not talking about a felony charge connected to violence, and he wasn't a part of a family violence, domestic violence, anything like that. It was you know everything that we know this is is what it was on that um on that video was that this was a violent altercation with a guy in a nightclub. And so, you know, with that going from a felony charge down to a misdemeanor charge, instead of the floor being a six-game suspension, it could be that the ceiling now is a six-game suspension. So I placed a range between two to eight games, eight games being a little drastic, but we know the NFL, they're incredibly inconsistent and stuff like this and are never really in a situation to where they have a full grasp of how, when, and what they're going to be doing before they walk into these situations and that yields a uh, kind of a moving target of results over the course of years. Um, and that, that could work in favor of uh, Alvin Kamara, who will also have the opportunity to appeal and lessen whatever the sentence is as well. So um, it, it provides a lot of clarity so far, but there's still some, some cloudiness in terms of what this is actually going to mean for Alvin Kamara and the New Orleans State.
2: Russ, let me ask you a question on that, felony versus a misdemeanor. Does, uh, mm-hmm. does the Kamara in any way lose pay when you're suspended?
8: Uh, also depends on the terms of the suspension, but usually, I mean, with that felony suspension, it's written into the Code of Conduct policy that it is a it is an unpaid six-game suspension. So okay. uh, with the misdemeanor charge and the suspension there, I would still expect that to be the same thing as it's still a violent crime, as there is still video, and as this is still an altercation that took place at an NFL-sanctioned event, the Pro Bowl, or rather it took place at, you know, uh, during an NFL-sanctioned event. At the Pro Bowl, the reason why Alvin was in Las Vegas for that that time where the altercation took place. Uh, is because he was a part of the Pro Bowl. He was arrested after, or detained, rather, after the Pro Bowl. And these are all NFL-sanctioned events. So because of that, I think there's maybe a little bit of an NFL optics game for the NFL to play. Uh, And so we could see things be a little bit different than maybe, you know, your usual sort of misdemeanor assault charge example in the NFL, which, like last year, Bud Dupree pled guilty to one of those but wasn't suspended at all, this might work out being a little bit differently because of the video and because of where this all took place.
1: Ross Jackson, Crescent City Sports. Ross, when did the Saints report?
8: So, uh, rookies will report in just a few days here on the 18th, veterans will report the following week, and then uh, the first practice is set to be July 26th, pads going on July 31st, which was originally uh, Alvin Kamara's expected court date, so or trial date. So, uh, you know, it's right around the corner here, we're uh, simultaneously uh, too far away, and, uh, and it's also simultaneously too soon, all at the same time, so it's coming right around the corner here.
1: Who are the free agents they've signed that have been most impressive so far in workouts?
8: Uh, I think from what we've gotten to see during OTAs and in, in minicamp, I think Jamal Williams is absolutely there. Derek Carr, of course, is a shoe in um, uh, for that for that mention as well. A little bit tougher to get a gauge of the interior defensive lineman that they've asked because you know ain't nobody trying to tackle anybody during these non-contact practices and things like that. So you don't really get a gauge what the defensive line or the offensive line for that matter is looking like. But I think the you know the biggest standout guy, of course, has been Derek Carr as a free agent addition. But I think Jamal Williams has been able to to show pretty. Uh, pretty consistently, not only what he'll be able to do in the in pa- in the in the run game, but what he'll be able to do in the passing game, getting a little bit back to his pass-catching role uh, that he had with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers years ago.
2: Ross, how can we get Drew Brees to come back out of retirement?
8: <laughs> well, hopefully if you're the New Orleans Saints, you won't need that anymore with Derek Carr in the building. Uh, not that Derek Carr is Drew Brees, uh, but Derek Carr is closer to Drew Brees than the five or six passers that they put out there in place of Um, Drew Brees over the course of the past couple of years and so the idea here is that the offense will be able to run a little bit more will be able to run a little bit more smoothly Um, you'll be able to call multiple plays going into the huddle and then Derek Hart can make the decision much like Drew did uh, at the line of scrimmage based upon what the defense is showing about which play they want to run he's going to be setting the protections and things like that so the the game will feel a lot more familiar Um, so I would dare say that getting Drew Brees out of retirement probably won't yield great results on the field. With so many year, years away from the uh, so many years away from the game, but hopefully a guy like Derek Carr, who is still firmly you know implanted and in, in in NFL rhythm and in NFL shape, will be able to provide what a what a maybe coming out of retirement, Drew Brees would be able to provide at this point in
1: What are you hearing about Dalvin Cook uh, and also Hopkins, the receiver? Where are they going to wind up?
8: Yeah, I'm still pretty convinced that Dalvin. Excuse me, that um, Devonte Hopkins. Excuse me, is going to end up either in uh, Baltimore or in Kansas City. Those are the two spots that I'm looking at for him. Kansas City hasn't had a true number one or a true X receiver in in quite a while, um, and so to be able to. Provide that for Patrick Mahomes would be great. I think when it comes to DeAndre Hopkins, I know he's taken a couple of other visits, like the New England Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. And you know, you know, my take around that is that he shouldn't waste his time with either of those franchises. Those two franchises are not a you know an All-Pro wide receiver away from winning a Super Bowl. They're several pieces away if DeAndre Hopkins is trying to get a ring before his career is over, he should go to a team where he's the difference. And those are teams like the Baltimore Ravens, as well as, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. As for Dalvin Cook, it looks like most everything is kind of still pointing toward the crystal balls are all still pointing towards uh, the Miami Dolphins. But, um, you know, we'll have to see exactly where maybe the bidding war sets in. And, you know, if he's going to get the the pay that he's looking for, because that's going to be the big thing is him coming in as a – him coming in as a, as a running back and, you know, as a, an older running back, a 27-year-old running back, which unfortunately is considered old at the position now or older at the position now, um, can be tough. And so uh, he's I know he's going to wait until uh, camp to make a signing decision. So things should come around, and the reports are that he has an offer from the Dolphins. So with that being the case, it, the crystal ball continues to point towards Miami for him.
1: Can't thank you enough, Ross. Great job, as always. Pleasure to talk to you. We'll be in touch when the Saints uh, start reporting. You take care and have a wonderful yes, day.
8: Take care, guys. I appreciate y'all so much for having me on. Always a good time to chat uh, to chat with you. Y'all you take bet. care. Thanks so
1: much. Ross Jackson, Crescent City Sports. All right, we're going to take a break. we got weather, traffic, and uh, sports update. When we come back, Joe, Chick-fil-A giveaway. And I think I want to get into conferences and where you see alignment if it's gonna change at all. You know, you you and I have had these conversations since the nineties. You worked a long time about South Alabama and things actually turned out pretty well for the Jags staying in the Sunbelt. Well it really has, Lee, and the f- Sunbelt
2: would probably right now I think be the the power five, not in the power five, but next in line as far as the power five program and uh, uh, and I'm so impressed with what they've accomplished in football in a short time.
1: Peter Burns will join us at 7:30 SEC football, and Johnny Rogers, Heisman Trophy winner, at
9: 7:50. Hey, this is AJ McCarran, and you're listening to WNSD. <laughs>
0: Chick fil A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. <laughs> where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick fil A.
1: What's the guy's name who sings it? Hawkins? Is that it, Nick? Yes. Ken Hawkins? All right, here's your Chick fil A question. Elias, A hey, uh, Elias Diaz, MVP yesterday. Who was the nation, last National League player to be named an MVP in the All-Star game? The last National League player. It's been a while. They haven't won in quite a while. If you know the answer, 694-1055. Joe Godfrey sitting in for Mark. Mark's on vacation coming up at 730. We'll talk SEC football with Peter Burns. Joe, you and I many, many times, conversations about conference direction back in the 90s. That was when you were trying to get South Alabama into the metro, I think it was, or something along those lines. And I want you to kind of update your thinking on the conferences now and where we're going.
2: Well, Lee, I think Sunbelt right now is as strong as it's ever been. The, The schools are all very, very similar. And uh, if you look at the Power Five, the SEC, Big Ten, et cetera, like that, Sunbelt is next in line in terms of the, of the non-Power Five, and that's been rated by many, many people as a, as a top conference. But I can see there's some going of things going to change, Lee. In fact, I heard the other day, North Carolina, Miami, uh, North Carolina, Miami, are the Big Ten is looking to get those schools in. And uh, the SEC, you know, you could – could I mean, there could be four conferences. Somebody's going to get let out, you know, and I think it's going to be the Pac-10. Joe,
1: yeah, wasn't that the discussion back in the 90s that eventually we would find up with four power conferences with 16 teams? And that's where I think we're heading. And there's – you know, the sad part about that, there's going to be some
2: schools are going to be completely eliminated, like uh, Washington State, for example. And why – I was shocked why the Pac-10 did not – I don't know. Is it Pac ten or Pac twelve? Is Pac twelve? Pac twelve did not sign or take. San Diego Diego State. San Diego State, you know, major city, you know, excellent program, Final Four in basketball, and uh, and they're in their market area, and they lose in the market area of L A. So, but they did not take them, and so they go back. They're staying. I'm not go back, but they're staying in the Mountain West. But I think we're going to see some still some big changes yet.
1: I guess the key right now is: Does the Pac-12 get a TV contract? That's
2: going to be the interesting thing. I think that's what they're waiting for. They could add Fresno, you know, a f- few schools. Out. Aren't
1: they also? Isn't SMU in the mix?
2: SMU would, could be, uh, and I could see San Diego State perhaps going to Big 12. You know, the Big 12 is sp- is is going to spread out. I believe a little bit more. They're solid. I think right now, get Cincinnati, Air, Florida Atlantic. Um, or two to Houston, and I can't remember the Is fourth.
1: Memphis? Did they
2: come in? No, I don't think it was Memphis. All right. Uh, I'll have to look it up, but I think they're – but it's going to happen. But the thing I'm really proud of, that our Sun Belt is solid right now, top to bottom. You know, I think the commissioner, they've got a good leadership. ADs are very, very strong in the Sun Belt. Um, UAB would really, I think, is perfect for the Sun Belt. But they're
1: going what american american athletic conference right. now not even sure who was all, who's all in that i'm not either and it's so confusing especially if you don't follow this on a day-to-day basis and, and it seems like every week there's a different direction taken by schools or there's rumors going on that this conference wants that school if if the sec ever expands past texas and oklahoma what direction do you think they would go in you know, you'd think
2: Clemson would be perfect in the SEC. I think Miami would be perfect, uh, and they're trying to get. The, I mean, North Carolina also. Um, that's a solid school academically, solid school. Uh, but it's it's amazing when we think back that UCLA and Southern Cal would go to the Big Ten. You wait till they go to the Big Ten and play Michigan in November, December, or Ohio State when that snow is five feet deep. <laughs> Whereas there used to be in staying in that California area, the climate, and the flights, the charter business, businessly is going to skyrocket now. now they're going to take tennis teams. Got to
1: go. The baseball team's going to play somewhere Rutgers, in the big. They, go to, Rutgers. they go to Rutgers. Yeah, they, the <laughs> Southern Cal baseball team has a series at Rutgers or at Maryland. Yeah, where it's, I, so it's snowing. I don't get, look. I get it. I I see it, but I I don't like it. I don't like the fact that Southern Cal and UCLA left the Pac-12, but I understand it. It's a money deal, right? The, the, the income they're going to get. Um, you know, it used to be a big deal, the Rose Bowl, Southern Cal beating up on somebody in the Big Ten. Now they'll be playing them during the regular season. But it's kind of sad i think but again that's i know i'm being old school kind of sad the way things have turned out that way because quite frankly i don't see where the pac-12 has a leg to stand on without southern cal and ucla you no know, lee they don't it's that's the sad part in their particular
2: area now oregon's still a liable and i've heard to, to go to the big 10 and as well as stanford you know so that would really eliminate the pac-10 but Nobody cares anymore. It's all about the money, Lee. For example, Maryland, when they went from the ACC to the Big Ten, it was a difference of 30, $25 million per year. You multiply 10, 20 years and $25 million in D, you, they had to go. Uh, but at some point, Lee, the TV, can they, can they keep going? Like in the S, or the, uh, I was reading the other day, uh, the NBA. The NBA is tra- drawing well, but the tv contract is going to they're going to have a tough time getting that extra money
1: because people aren't tuning into the nba as much all right topic we can explore later on peter burns on good morning welcome to the opening kickoff Lee Shervanian, joined by my special co-host, Mr. Joe Gottfried.
2: Lee, I always enjoy coming this morning. Sometimes it's tough to get here, get up in the morning, but uh, I always enjoy doing that. Thank you. Less traffic. Very, very little traffic. Unfortunately, you know, with Dolphin Street out and having traveled on the Airport Boulevard, I hit every red light today, every, light, every red light.
1: I was lucky this morning. I got green lights most of the way. I really did. I, I it was just one of those things. It doesn't happen very often. But what I don't like as I get down Cottage Hill, the underpass, there's a light right before the underpass and there's one right after it and they're never synchronized. <laughs> you go five feet. Stop, stop, stop. And I and I and there are a lot of I don't know about you, Joe, driving, but there are a number of I say there's not many people out there when I'm driving it's actually around three 345 today but people run red lights like you can't believe but i couldn't we couldn't do i don't do it but you couldn't do that too much today because there was a couple of police cars right around there but anyway we got our very special guest i'm so pleased to introduce uh, peter burns espn sec network i uh, got a chance to meet him for the first time at the senior bowl hall of fame peter thank you for taking time out good morning how are you today
5: I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm still sweating from uh, how hot it was in Mobile that day, but it was a, uh, a a great trip and you know Jim's done such a good job with that senior bowl. It's uh, it's fun to watch that thing grow and um I mean it was my first time really spending any time in in Mobile and I'm like I'm now I'm already planning on trips to come back, man. What a what a great spot.
1: Well, I'll tell you this and look, I this is unsolicited, but you I, I say this all the time. There The Grand Hotel is a great place to spend a weekend or a couple of days there. I mean, if you're just there looking for a free time and, you know, a vacation-type atmosphere, I've stayed there many, many times. So any function down there I really, really enjoy, and it was a pleasure to meet you. Um, Joe Gottfried uh, joining me here, and he may have a question or two. Peter, first of all, before we get into the SEC Media Days next week, tell our listeners what your assignments are for ESPN, the SEC Network.
5: Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically uh, kicking things off. You know, starting on uh, Monday up in Nashville, we, we launch SEC Media Week um, over there on SEC Network with our show. So uh, we do the morning show, and so we'll be on TV and um, every single day, and we'll have, you know, Brian Kelly, I believe, is going to stop by for the for the first day, like drink with all the coaches that are there on Monday. And, and really it's just doing interviews through all, all week long because this is kind of the unofficial, official kickoff, right? Like this is – you know i know i know in years past every time that we've gotten to this week this is when the coaches finally are like all right we're off of vacation like we are dialed into football and um, so i think it's not only a start for us as fans a start for us for media to kind of wrap our head around the season but i think it is for a lot for the coaches like getting back to reality and understanding that hey fall camp pretty much starts after this week and it's uh, before you know it you're uh, the ball's in the air and you're playing football
1: Peter, and uh, I've covered this for, oh my gosh, like 30 years or so, but usually, you know, when you go up there, it's pretty well uh, uh, dialed in that Georgia's going to win the East and Alabama the West. Uh do you see it that way this coming uh, week, or are you kind of fading? Yeah, I mean, like, the Georgia winning the East,
5: right? I think everybody looks at that. Just Kirby has built a a monster. The way the schedule sets up, I mean, even though, you know, it, 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 you know Stetson's gone, you're still going to be working with Carson Beck, I fully believe, Georgia football is where we saw Alabama football be for the last decade under Nick Saban, which is really damn good. And even if somebody graduates, they just get one guy that's even better. I feel like that's what Kirby's built out uh, Georgia to be. As far as the West, though, I, you know, it seems uh, that I, I, in my mind, I think LSU is still the team to beat. And the reason why I say that is not only did they go to Atlanta last year, um, but, I look at also in that idea of you're sitting there going, you got Jaden Daniels, you've got um, Harold Perkins coming back, Mason Smith on that D line, you've got Brian Kelly in his second year, uh, you know, his second year with better recruits, and there's no coordinator turnover. So to me, I look at LSU being the team to beat actually in the West.
2: Peter, Joe Godfrey, and I'm co hosting this with Lee today. Here's my question to you with Oklahoma and Texas uh, coming in the SEC. I look back when Nebraska was in the Big 12 or the Big 8, you know, they dominated that league. They came into the Big 10. They can't, I mean, they're not, they're not in the top four or five programs. Now Oklahoma and right. Texas coming in. How do you perceive those two programs, which dominated another league, how would they do in the SEC?
5: No, it's a great point because I, I know a lot of people have looked at that. Even, you know, you go back to Missouri and the success they had in other, other conferences, even though they, they, they made it to Atlanta for two two years when they first got into the conference, but conference realignment makes a lot of people rich. It doesn't make them better. If that makes sense, right? Oh, you're <laughs> like, exactly in, in right in your example. So, you know, I think they understood it's kind of, what do we do right for Texas and Oklahoma? It's, do we sit there and make less money than everybody else? Or do we say, hey, we're going to have to bump up a weight class. But by going up a weight class, guess what? The the, the prize fights are a little bit bigger of when it comes to a purse. So um, I, I would say this. Right now, I think Texas is in a little bit of a better spot than Oklahoma is, simply for the fact that I, I like the quarterback situation this year. I still like Steve Sarkeesian. We saw, obviously, what he did with Bama's offense. I think that they can get it to that point. Um, and the name, image, and likeness, I think, has really helped the Texas program. Not to say that it's hurt the Oklahoma program, but I just think that the there's been such a transition from the success that Lincoln Riley had going to Brent Venables. I don't know if that's an easy thing. And so Oklahoma, life is all about timing. And I think they find themselves in a, in a spot where the timing's is not necessarily great for them to be headed into the, the hardest conference in all of college football.
1: We're talking with Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Peter, give me three storylines going into next week.
5: Yeah, I I think one of the ones is, you know, what Hugh Freeze and Auburn are going to be able to do right from the get-go. I think that they've done a really good job of, you know, kind of creating some good momentum going into camp, also making sure that they use the right amount of transfer portal guys. I think that's a big storyline. I think honestly, the biggest storyline is the fact that we won't be talking as much about texas a and m and maybe that's a good thing for the aggies you know over the last couple of years ever since they you know Jimbo was what fifth in the college football playoff back in twenty twenty it's been like, oh you know a and m's gonna be good, well I don't think anybody's gonna think that a and m's gonna be good this year, and i think Actually, they are. <laughs> you know, I, I think this is a team that's going to be under the radar. I think we'll talk a lot more about that coming up. And I think the bigger, the big storyline too is Florida. Florida finds itself with a really tough schedule next year. It's even tougher. Billy Napier's second year. And remember, LSU could have hired Billy Napier. You know, Billy Napier was right in their back backyard. They didn't even interview Billy Napier. So there was a lot of, hey, what program is going to do better? Is it Brian Kelly and LSU or Billy Napier in Florida? And, buddy, it's uh, it's going to be a tough year in my mind for the Florida Gators. So I think those are kind of three. I could name you 40 different storylines. I mean, that, that's why I'm so intrigued by this year because I, I do feel like, you know, South Carolina coming back, I think, is a good one. Clark Lee and Vandy, are they still good? Can Joe Milton and Tennessee? I mean, we're going to need more hours of programming this week on the SEC Network to stay the lead.
1: For sure. All right. Um, last year at SEC Media Days, It was all about the quarterbacks. Everybody on the staff talking heads who were the top five. And even when they named the top five, Stetson Bennett normally wasn't in there. And some of the, you know, quarterbacks that, you know, were names weren't involved because there were so many of them. Now, five quarterbacks are coming up to Nashville. He's scheduled to do that. Last year, the, the foregone conclusion, Bryce Young was number one. Is there such a quarterback coming to Nashville who you would say you'd put right in there when you get the ballot or whatever they do with the uh, you know the media ballot? Who would you put in there as number one?
5: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, Jaden Daniels is my guy. I mean, you look at how he started the season at LSU, and it wasn't great. But then again, he had just kind of transferred in and was learning the offense. By the time, you know, the the end of the year, that LSU offense was ripping. And so to me, I think Jaden is the reason why I'm going to probably pick LSU to win the West um, is because I think he's the number one quarterback when it comes to outside of that. I think KJ Jefferson doesn't get enough love as well, too. I don't think people think Arkansas is going to win 10, 11 games this year, but. I mean, he's going to be able to put up some monster numbers. I'm really, I think the, the biggest quarterback things, real quick, are two things. One, what Will Will Rogers is going to look like now that they're not going to run 100% of an air raid offense with Zach Arnett at Mississippi State, I think is intriguing. And how the quarterback situation plays out in Oxford. I mean, you got Jackson Dark, you got Spencer Sanders, you got Walker Howard. I mean, you've got three talented quarterbacks. Who in the world is going to be running lanes offense? I think the the, the state of Mississippi and their quarterback play is going to be one that will circle at the end of the week as well.
2: Peter, let me ask you another question. Uh, you know, with the realignment and conferences, et cetera, like that, the SEC probably, like the Big Ten, are going to add some more schools. In your opinion, it, will that happen? And if it does happen, who would be the likely schools to come into the SEC?
5: Gosh, I mean, it's a great question. I I don't see it happening soon, but everybody that you know, the Herb Streets and the guys that are a lot smarter than me, say, hey, listen, it's eventually going to get there. I mean, conference realignment is not anything new. We've had it for a hundred years, right? It's, so it's it's not like oh, it's just now happening. Um, I, I I think the thing you look at is hey. ACC what happens with them they're obviously not happy with their television contract they're not happy with how the the money is distributed right now and they see the SEC taking off if it it would make sense that if there was an expansion that it would include the Clemsons the Florida States of the world I just don't know if we see that within the next three to four years. Um, but, again, nothing, is, uh, nothing shocks me any more than, what, two years ago when all of a sudden in the day, what, middle of the SEC media days, we found out that Texas and Oklahoma was coming. So I'm buckled up. I'm prepared for anything to happen coming up.
1: You have an outstanding resume leading up to what you're going to be doing next week. Who's on the uh, panel with you when you do your show next week?
5: Yeah, so it'll be me and uh, former All-American walk-on uh, star Chris Doring. So Doring is always going to be my normal co-host out there, and he's been a blast to work with. But we'll have everybody. We'll have, you know, Takiyo Spikes. We'll have Jordan Rogers. We'll have Derek Mason, the former Vanderbilt coach, is going to start doing some stuff for ESPN this year. So um, I'm looking forward to getting his insight, because it was great when we had Chiswick on air with us because he gave us really kind of what the coaches aspect of this, uh, you know, of, of – Media days and football was. So Derek Mason's going to be joining us. And again, um, Alyssa Lang and Dari Noka will be there, or my other uh, SEC network anchors. So it's a, um, we're bringing out all the big guns. This is, uh, it's football season. And uh, well, I guess it's football season 365 here in the SEC, but especially coming up this week, I, I can't wait. And, and Nashville will be fun. And it'll be interesting to see if they announce where next year's media days are going to be. I mean, I, I'd probably go do it in Dallas. Right, guys? I mean, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, would you not probably go out west for media days next year?
1: That would be my guess. That's, that's a great point. That was going to be my guess on that. I do want to say a special word about Derek Mason. I'm not going up this year because I went to the spring meetings, which I really enjoy down in Sandest, and we're sending four yeah. from this area. But Derek Mason, to my thinking, is only one of two coaches who made the rounds at Radio Row days that he wasn't scheduled he used to show up in shorts and go around from radio station to radio station only tommy tuberville was the only other one peter that would make the rounds on radio row because most of the coaches avoid it like the plague
5: well and i think that was the one thing Derek would come in a day early and he would say hey whatever you need And that's why i always like coach mason and and again, a lot of those, co- some of those coaches understand it that, hey, it's good to work the media. It's good to talk to people. It's good to create relationships. And some coaches just say, you know what? I just here, I'm here to coach football. <laughs> you know? I'm not here to be a radio show host or TV show host or give a talking head. So um, the, the beauty part about it is that, you know, we get great insight. And that's why we were pumped when we found out that Derek Mace is going to join us. So he's, uh, you know, you just, you, you guys know it. You pull for good people in life. And Derek Mace is one of those people that you definitely can put in the category as a good person.
1: Peter, I can't thank you enough. Uh, We're kind of running up against the clock now, but I hope to get your – maybe next week you're going to be pretty busy, but maybe the following week to get your uh, thoughts on what transpired during uh, next week. And thank you ever so much for joining us, and hope to have you back real soon.
5: This was a blast. Can't wait to do it again, boys. See ya,
1: Peter Burns, SEC Network. He'll be uh, one of the hosts up there uh, next week, babysitting Nick, maybe. When we come back, Joe, your guy, Heisman Trophy winner. 1972. I'm going to let you handle it. All right? That's good. All right, Johnny Rogers uh, is scheduled to join us next as the opening kickoff moves on towards the hour number three. Joe Godfrey sitting for Mark. Nick's here. I'm Lee Shervanian. July 12th, what else do you need to know? Hot, warm, yeah, probably rain.
10: this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.
0: Johnny Rogers, 5'9", 173
1: pounds of dynamite. Hi, uh, Joe, you want to introduce our next guest?
2: I do. Uh, Johnny Rogers I've got to know him on a personal basis uh you know in the last four or five years I and I really am Lee is so impressed with him but he goes back to 1972 when he won the Heisman trophy you know that was the best player in America and uh and it's a from what Johnny was telling me it's a fraternity you know the Heisman get the guys all get together et cetera. do we have him on now Johnny good morning Good morning, Joe. How are you this morning? Doing fine. Thank you. Uh, Johnny, here's what I'd like to ask you. You know, back when you played, you know, Bob Devaney and Tom Osborne, I looked up those records. Bob Devaney was 101 and 20, 82%. Tom Osborne comes in in and 255 and 49. I mean, what an era that was. Tell me about that.
4: Well, it's. Uh Right, right before that, uh, you know, I was when I graduated from high school. I was really trying to go to USC, and uh, Coach Devaney told me that uh, he was going to put together one of the better teams that, ever, that they ever had, and if I would come, I would be able to help make it better. But they hadn't won a championship in years prior to that. But he said he was going to go out and he's going to recruit some of the best players ever and just uh, and make a winner out of it. And uh, yeah, that, that came true. Came to be true. Uh, we had some of the best players. Uh, ever that they came through here and uh we started a tradition that we're hoping to get back to uh we've, we've uh, we haven't really been uh prominent since about 2000 uh so it's been a little tough on us but uh I, I, we're hoping right now with matt rule that we're getting ready to take a step back and get a running start at it again
2: you know i i would look back in that era too uh you guys recruited a lot in the Texas area because you know Texas was in the league and A and M, et cetera, like that. Uh, but I don't know if you get into Texas much now because of the Big Ten era.
4: No, we don't do Texas too much, and we we pretty much. I, I know a lot of our our players were from Ohio. We we had University of of Ohio in Nebraska or something they used to call it because uh, uh, we got a lot of players from the East, but. Uh, I think you know, as time went on, more players started to really want to come to Nebraska, but back in the early uh, 60s, uh, it really wasn't that popular just to come to to Nebraska, well, kind of like it is uh, right now. You know, there's a lot of players that, that have a lot more better schools, that have better reputations, and uh, more opportunities for them to go on to the pros, uh, they get more exposure, uh a lot more benefits you have to really be dedicated and really want to help to build a dynasty rather than to come to a, a school where they already have one
2: Johnny tell me also in a, uh, or tell the group I've I've heard it from you the Heisman Heisman trophy people they're it's like a fraternity you guys get together and you you've made personal friends over the years with uh when you go to New York and you know I always see Johnny Dresses better than anybody. I'm telling you, when up there, you notice, <laughs> you notice him. But uh, what? Tell me about that fraternity, that it, for our audience to understand a little bit more.
4: Well, you know, it really, it really doesn't hit you until years afterwards. Just significant. At least it didn't hit me that much. Uh, but when you're coming around, and they, have got millions of uh, young men around our country and other countries, Canada as well uh that look forward to uh playing football and when you have a you know a, an award that they only give one one trophy out in the whole country one a year it makes it pretty darn elite um so when you get a whole group of these guys there are at these 20 or 30 guys that come back each year uh for the Heisman trophy it's just really a special deal to be with the best of the best and then best of, you know for over periods of time I was just thinking about yesterday. You know that if, uh, as a young man, had I thought to just keep a Heisman football, uh, I received you know signatures from all of the all the guys that are there each and every year. But if I had kept, uh, and they sent me about a dozen of them, if I just kept one for every year, I'd be up to fifty, and I'd probably have a library or something that's pretty god darn special, and uh, and and valuable. If I had just kept one from each era with, with, for the guys that had won, it would be a really a very special deal because it's a group of the best guys from all around the country, for, and it's just one a year. It's um, it's, uh, it's uh, the, the, probably it's the best award that we have really in the country because I think it's probably the hardest to
1: get. Johnny, Lee Shervaney sitting here with Joe Godfrey. So where is your Heisman Trophy these days? Where do you keep it?
4: I keep it at the Black Heritage Museum. Uh, I go back and forth. Sometimes I need it out for promotion to something I'm doing at, at a convention or something. Uh, but when I'm not, when it's downtime, I keep it at the uh, uh, at the museum so people could come through and they can appreciate uh, uh, the trophy as well. Uh, that's uh, I'm the first Heisman Trophy winner uh, from Nebraska. Uh, Eric Crouch is also from Nebraska, and then we have Mike Rozier's, but. Uh, I keep mine at the Black Heritage Museum in my neighborhood in which I live.
1: Hey, by the way, uh, you just celebrated a birthday. Congratulations, just a couple of weeks ago.
4: Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. It It's about 50th anniversary of the Heisman. And um, I just, just turned 72 years old, and I'm a 1972 Heisman Trophy winner.
1: How different would you have been in this era of college football than when you played?
4: Well, I think right now they're gonna to have to open it up. Uh, you know, Osborne came in with the pro uh, and the spread offense, uh, which allowed me to, to move around quite a bit. We ran from the eye as well, and I ran from the wing. Uh, I don't think it would really have been that much difference. Uh, guys are bigger and faster uh, right now, so I would have had to to lift weights a little bit more. Although that, you know, I was the um, you know one of the the, the top uh, lifters. Uh, when I did play back there, and Boyd, Apley, Boyd Epley Boyd had just came in and uh, helped build the program. Uh, but I, I think I would have uh, fit right in, but pretty good uh, as an all-purpose player, like I, as as I did then. I, I they are still doing it now, and uh, I give awards out right now called having an award called the Jet Award, where I give an award to the best college football punt turn and kickoff guy in college football, and. I see some pretty good guys uh, come through there, but I don't see uh, that many that come through our award system that are that much better or do that much more than I did. Uh, uh, I you know, I, I did quite a few things. I was wing back. I ran back. Pump returns, at kickoffs. Uh, I ran from the wing. I ran from the eye. I threw touchdowns. Um, I played all the positions, all purpose, so I can't see why I couldn't do it now.
2: Johnny, really really quick, a few minutes here. You know, in rivalries, we've got the Auburn-Alabama in the south, uh, Midwest, you got Ohio State and Michigan. And the big rival when you played, that was Oklahoma. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: Well, Oklahoma has a great program. Uh, and uh, I think I, I have a lot of friends that go to Oklahoma. We, we had a, a, a rivalry, but we have a very respectable rivalry. And we both – uh, Uh, Appreciate each other because we made each other good and made each other great, actually. Uh, Greg Pruitt and I, uh, Greg comes down from our awards dinner every year uh, since I've had it. So we we became friends because the competition was so stiff and so good, and we just came along at a a time where we were able to to be able to push the interest in college football up to its height where we had more people watching uh, the game of the century than watching any football game prior to that time, but because of the interest, and uh, um, most of the players, we have you know, about 10, 11 players on each team We came out to be All-Americans, and it, it it proved to be some great times because uh, we were both very disciplined programs and had some great coaches and some great players, and um, you know, they, uh, our 72-71 team has been picked by quite a few people, as well as our 90, 95 of our team, I think, is as uh, one of the two best college football programs ever.
2: Johnny, we're up against the time. And uh, can't thank you enough for your friendship and uh, being able to you know, be on the show today and talk about the greatness of Johnny Rogers.
1: Thanks, Johnny. Yeah. Really appreciate it.
4: Thank you, fellas. Stay in good health. Day. Every, every day is game day now.
1: 8 o'clock, we got Chris Stewart, Alabama, UAB basketball coach Andy Kennedy. That's coming up in the next hour.
0: off On the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee.
1: All right, uh, it's been a, a fun two hours. I really appreciate Joe Godfrey coming in to join us and. We're now going to talk with Chris Stewart, uh, the voice of the Crimson Tide, basketball, baseball. Also uh, did football this past year and always enjoy having the stories with. Uh hey, Chris, good morning. How are you today?
9: Man, I'm great. And uh, I'm great to hear you got Joe there with you. Yeah, you Joe know, and uh, I, his family. I was, always been great to me. So always, always love talking to Joe.
1: I was I was. Going to introduce you, and then if you know how this happens. You know, Joe and I were talking about things that flash in and out of your mind, and and I, I just started to think. Remember this story you said with the uh, when you were doing basketball? Was it at Montevallo? The impersonation of the coach who, who was Joe's buddy, Rob Spivery. Yeah, Spivey. D- yeah. Do you? D- are you Spivary. familiar with that story? Uh, not really, T- uh, Chris. Tell him that story.
9: Joe, when I was a student at Montevallo, it kind of word kind of got around that. Well, here's how word got around that I did a pretty good impersonation of Rob. I used to call the players and tell them to come down to his office, and they thought it was him, and they'd show up, and he had no clue what they were talking about. So <laughs> it kind of got around, and then it got around to the athletic department that I could do it. And most importantly, Rob got word that I could do it, and Rob loved it. So he would have me prank people all the time. And in fact, one time there was a it uh, was there was a uh, civic club. I think it was uh, it was either Rotary, Civitan, something like that, in Montevallo, where where I had done the impersonation when I spoke about a month earlier, and then rob was supposed to introduce the speaker about two months later he was in charge of speakers and then he called me and said oh chris i need a favor oh i'm not going to be able to make the meeting today and i wanted to know if you could go and uh introduce the speaker for me as me so there were only people that knew that what was planned and it was the the head of the club who was introducing rob and the speaker himself, who was Gary Van Atta at the time, the women's basketball coach. So, yeah, um, I didn't have a lot to be famous for when I was an undergrad at Montevallo, but my ability to uh, to impersonate the guy who's one of the winningest coaches in school history was uh, was something that paid off pretty well for me.
2: Chris, I have not heard that before, but you did sound like Rob.
9: <laughs> yeah, right. Rob always liked it. He always liked it, thankfully. I wouldn't have done it. Too much respect for him not to.
1: Now Rob worked with you, Joe,
9: right?
2: Uh, I was the assistant coach when, one year when when he was playing. And uh then I hired him as my assistant. And uh he was good. And we've we've kept up to date. Rob's one of the class class people in America, I think. An outstanding coach and just a terrific person.
1: What's he doing now? Do either of you know?
2: He lives in uh Yeah. Go ahead, Chris.
1: No, Joe. I think
9: he's in. He's either in Baton Rouge or New Orleans.
2: No, he's in El Uh, El Paso.
9: They moved to El Paso. Okay, good deal. His uh, his wife, I knew, had lived had lived in Louisiana. He was uh, he had come back and had worked in Montgomery for a few years and actually ran parts and wreck there uh, before before they uh, retired and and took off to Texas, but no, I loved Rob. He was, Joe, he was, at one time, a really hot name. I remember the job, but when I was an undergrad at Montevallo, Rob was one of three finalists for the Central Florida job, if I'm not mistaken. You correct me if I'm wrong, but they were just going Division One for the first time, and the three finalists for the job were Rob Spivory, Don DeVoe, and Joe Dean, Jr., and Joe got the job, um, and uh, that was a really, really, really tough job at that time. They were barely Division One. They had a football coach as the AD, which can be uh, can be somewhat tough on the basketball program at times. But it was a um, yeah. Rob was a Rob was a really hot name at one point. Came up. I know his name came up for the Auburn job. And uh, at one point, so there were, Rob was a heck of a basketball coach.
1: You're listening to Chris Stewart uh, in this segment, uh, coming up at 830, Andy Kennedy, Joe Godfrey sitting with me. All right, so when you mentioned Central Florida, I remember my first trip to Central Florida broadcasting South Alabama basketball, Chris. I don't remember who the coach was. I'd have to go back and look it up. I, I just don't remember. But what really got me, he didn't drive to work. He didn't have a car. He rode a bicycle. This is the head coach (laughs) of the basketball team. His bicycle was parked outside. I don't know if it was just because it was an exercise thing or they didn't have a budget or what, but I've never, ever run across that before where the head coach came to uh, school on a bicycle.
9: Joe, you've come across some, some different birds. We'll put it that way in coaching. But one that would ride his bike every day, that one's... That one's in a different category, isn't
2: he? I would think so. Hey, it's interesting when you just said that's a different bird. I'm looking in Lee's room next door, and I see bird up there, number 33. Harry Bird. And I coached against him three yeah. times. You did? Well, I was a basketball coach at SIU, Indiana State. That was during that era of bird. He was He was in his How, last year.
1: Did you stop him? Did you You guys put the clamps on him? No. Uh,
2: you know one of the games was very close, came right down to the end. It was at our place. But he was the difference in all three games. I mean, what an incredible athlete. And uh, it ne- never shocked me that he would do as well as he did in the NBA because he was so intelligent. I mean, and uh, handle the ball, shoot, et cetera, et cetera. He's one of the all-time great NBA players. you put probably ten guys Yo. together. Don't you think, Chris, Bird would be in there? Yo,
9: I've yeah, I think, and here's the other part of that, and, and, you know, we're getting to the age now where people, a lot of young ones don't remember, but Bird and Magic saved the NBA, did they not? No question. I mean, question. it was it, it was in a bad spot, and there was very little interest. And then when they had their matchup in the national championship game that, that uh, Magic and Michigan State with Judd Heathcote won, But that game was so well-publicized and so hyped, and people followed them as they moved into the NBA, and that was the rebirth of the NBA itself. And and as big as as Michael Jordan was for the league, uh, Bird and Magic, a decade prior, restoring it is what I think set the table for that to take place. At least that's my memory of it.
1: You're correct on that. Chris, uh, absolutely. There's no question about it. Joe, I was reading uh, an update on Alabama's basketball schedule next season. In a span of 11 days, and Chris does the play-by-play for Alabama basketball, they will go to Canada to take on Purdue, they go to Omaha to take on Creighton, and they go to Arizona to face Arizona. That's incredible. What a schedule. No question. Hey, Chris, uh, So much for the
9: days of building in 20 wins and you're going to the NCAA tournament, right? It's got to be a little more than that these days. Joe. You know, that, that timing and that scheduling is, has changed over the years.
2: You know, I think another advantage is going to be for Alabama, and you can elaborate on this, but Coleman Coliseum is one of the older buildings in America, and, and the seats go so far up and back that you're, you're so far away. But as I understand, is it going to be a 10,000-seat arena? Or, but is, where's it going to be built at?
9: I, Joe, I don't think that it's locked in stone. No pun intended. What it's actually going to be, I know that Greg is uh, working on that all the time, trying to figure out exactly what the dynamic will be. There, are, there are some, there are some that will. That will advocate for keeping some form of Coleman and redoing it. I think that was one of the original plans they put out a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. And and there are some aspects of Coleman, frankly, that are still great. It the narrative of the building, uh, it, it, I think it's one of those that when you say it enough times, it's something bad that people automatically believe it. You go in, and especially the concourse, you know, restrooms, concessions, those things are are on par with most in the league, even a lot of the newer ones, however, there's no mistaking the fact that the bad seats are the bad seats well chris it wouldn't and you don't need those in November and december you you need you need ten to twelve thousand night in and night out. Alabama still draws well, and of course they drew well um this past year, incredibly so. And and we've had it different periods. I, I know Mark had it filled up, but it is night in and night out. That probably needs to be about a 10 or 12,000 seat building with modern amenities to it. And that's probably going to require a new facility. And I I know that that's very much on the priority list, uh, but it's also still a matter of trying to get the money raised to do that. And And I'm not sure they're there yet.
1: Chris, it really didn't matter for Joe when when he used to go up there and watch Mark's team's play where he was sitting because he never sat. Joe reminded me of Jerry West. Jerry West would never sit still. He'd get up, walk around, and then leave. Joe, and I was up there one time, Joe didn't sit in the seats. He went out and started walking around the building.
2: When Mark was coaching, uh, Chris, and and my younger brother Johnny was home watching on TV, get down the last four or five minutes, and I'm walking out, I'm run, walking around Col- the outside of the Col- m- m- Coliseum, so I call my brother Johnny. I and I says, it. "What's the score?" And he says, "Aren't you there?" I said, "No."
9: <laughs> <laughs> I can I can believe that. I can absolutely believe it. And and hearing you mention Johnny, I can only imagine for you, Joe. But I know how much uh, I miss seeing him. What a wonderful person, and and uh, your family's always been great to me. But man, Johnny was. Johnny was special, and uh, and really miss him.
2: Thank you very much for that compliment about Johnny. Really appreciate that.
1: Chris, let me ask you uh, before I let you go. Any connection? Are you going to Nashville at all or SEC Media Days? Any interest there for you?
9: I've, I've, there's definitely interest, and I've got uh, I've got the reservation for it. I'm, there's a couple things I'm trying to get worked out. I would like to to be able to go up there for the day that Alabama's there. Uh, I'm, I'm at the stage now, as you guys would understand. I really want to go just to see old friends as much as anything else. The information that we'd love to get, by and large, you can get uh, just about anywhere. If you uh, really and truly, you can get it. Going to, uh, you know, just watching on television or, or listening on radio or online, and, and get the same interviews and hear the same things. But there's a lot of there's a lot of reminiscing with uh, with people that have been doing this for a long time, and friends that that you love to actually have a conversation with, and kind of get their thoughts on things as well. That's the part that I, if I wind up going and I'm and I'm trying to get it worked out, then that's that's going to be the bigger thing for me than anything else.
1: So when we talk to you, hopefully next, well, hopefully you'll be back with us next Wednesday, thanks to Dex Imaging. Uh, whether you're there or not doesn't matter. So like to get your thoughts and maybe some, uh, you know, some storylines, you know, with SEC Media Days as you sure. look ahead to the start of the season. Always enjoy hearing from you. Keep up with the impersonations, okay. okay? Keep doing the impersonations. <laughs> I'm going to call Rob. New, I got work. You got a new career. I got work Chris. to do. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much coming God, up
9: it's great here from you, joe take care
1: okay you too thank you it's chris stewart uh the alabama radio network thanks to dex imaging for that tomorrow at 7 30 eli gold also with the alabama radio network andy kennedy former jag assistant coach slated to join us at 8 30 but when we come back we're going to talk south alabama all right you ready for that all set all right very good so stick around for that we're going to have weather and traffic. We'll skip the scoreboard. I want to get Joe's intake on South Alabama.
6: Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5.
0: Love. A burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring.
1: I should have asked you, Joe, if you had any walk-up music you'd like, you know, intro. Maybe, maybe at 8:50 or something, we can get you something. Is I was
2: telling a- I was telling Dr. Molynex, I thought he was in Notre Dame grad, and he was in Alabama, but I was telling him when I went to grade school at St. Joseph's School in Crestline, Ohio, little Catholic school. And every morning, we didn't say the national anthem star spangled banner. The Notre Dame fight song went
1: on the, on the speaker <laughs> every day. So we all were Notre Dame fans. Well, one of my doctors is Notre Dame, Dr. Duffy, my eye specialist. Right, that's the, that's the doctor. At, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's the one uh, that has the ties to Notre Dame. Uh, this segment is brought to you by South Alabama Athletics, connecting the city to the campus. Back to Hancock-Whitney, September 9th, get your tickets for that opening game. And, you know, Joe, I know you've been retired from South, not retired from other avenues, but from South, but yet you still go to most of the games, as far as I know. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, we go to the football and the
2: basketball and baseball, et cetera. I take my great-grandson, and he's a big, big South Alabama fan, 10 years old, and he's every time i mean there's an event he wants to go which we we do take him but i do enjoy going out and watching the games and you you, know. you you go football basketball and even baseball and we I go to some baseball games as well
1: what joe how many years were you athletic director at south uh tw- i was there 28 26 was there as director of athletics this is a tough i to answer this question but what do you think's your biggest legacy Boy, and I've know. never asked you that somebody before. Else,
2: somebody else would have to define that, but I mean,
1: I, okay, when you look back, the impact that you had on the university—I
2: uh, think you know—we had the philosophy that we wanted all the programs to be good, and not just the football or basketball. We didn't have football at that time, um, but we won a high. I think it was 108 Sunbelt Conference championships in the 26 years, and then I remember one we had 60 times Coach of the Year for you know various coaches and then you know i always wanted to get the football cuz i knew how important that would be for entire institution and it you know it just it happened but uh, we tried to get football in 95 got turned down came back in 01 and uh, nothing again and in 07 i made all these posters out if we have football we have a chance to be here if we don't have football we won't be in the sunbelt like little rock they're no longer in the sunbelt and uh, the, you know, trustees voted to have it in in '07, and we started to play in '09. But I see what that stadium has done and the football has done, and I give it a lot of credit. You know, when when I left there, I was hoping that somebody is going to be able to take it to the next level. I hope you know, wanted to be better. And uh, Joe Erdman was with us at one time, and uh, was he worked in the PE department and he was a volunteer in athletics. But I'm telling you, he has done. I think his leadership has been fantastic. And when I look at that indoor facility and the office structure, and, and uh, you know what the football program—we're playing Tulane in the opening game. Tulane upset Southern Cal. It wasn't maybe it wasn't an upset in in the bowl game. I think it was in a Cotton Bowl. But if we can beat Tulane at Tulane, and know we get to go to Oklahoma State, and then the league is tough. But I think that's a big game and can impact. But, you know, the bar- the marching band, you know, 200-plus, and uh, and they're terrific in a scoreboard and, uh, you know, go through that campus now, and it's made a difference. And I'll tell you where it made a diff- big difference, Lee. We used to be able to recruit students from UMS and St. Paul's, maybe two a year. But when we got the football, you know, it, some years it's 15, 16. Because it's perceived differently. It's perceived like Alabama, where you have a weekend, parents' weekend, you got homecoming weekend, and a marching band. And that just changes it all. It used to be, we we were looked at, Gene Bartow told me one time, he said, people in Birmingham looked at us at UAB as a night school. Well, they looked at us as a commuter school at South Alabama, but the football now has changed that entirely. We took 6,000 people over to the Superdome, last year to play Western Kentucky in the bowl game, 6,000. Um, so I can see it getting better, and Kane Womack is do- doing a terrific job, you know, with the football. And Richie, I've really, really always been high on Richie. I think he's going get it, get to it, get it done. And uh, so I'm excited about South Alabama, where they're at now.
1: When you drive up and down Joe Godfrey Drive, does it, is there a, fi- a certain feeling? It, there is you when know. you go to the, the football complex and you're on joe godfrey drive
2: yeah and the stationery has that when they send it out for yeah. recruits it. yeah that that was you know i was proud of that um but it, you know lee when you have a job and you enjoy it the time goes so fast yeah. I, I my 28 years went so fast i can't believe it
1: but i loved it there and I did 35 years of broadcasting, and I can't believe oh, it went we had that a good, fast. We had a good team. Oh, we sure yeah, did. Yeah. We, we had a lot of great moments yeah. in sports and so forth, and hopefully there will be even more to add to it, really. Oh, hopefully. All right, uh, we'll take a break. Andy Kennedy, he was part of South Alabama's coaching staff at one point. He's now at UAB. Boy, has he made the rounds. And he's also recruited uh, and has Barry Dunning now in the program. So Joe's going to talk to him when we come back. Lou Shravanian, Nick Wiggins, Joe Godfrey, Wednesday morning edition of the opening kickoff. This is one of the themes I let run its course. It's one of my favorite all-time movie themes, Hoosiers. Oh, I love that. I, I used to watch reruns of this just because of the music. I already knew what was going to win. Lee, I coached in a rural school, and we had eight schools in the county.
2: And it reminded me of Hoosiers because they get on that bus and the snow and everything, and you're going 10 miles or 5 miles to play.
1: I don't want to take away from our next guest but i'll just remember one year when i was doing rutgers basketball we had one of the biggest blizzards ever in new jersey and rutgers was supposed to play at duquesne like the following day the airport was shut down we're supposed to fly out the airport was shut down so the head coach tom young who you remember at old dominion as well as rutgers so He could have easily, easily said, look, we're not going to play. We'll just make it up, right? It was impossible to drive. The the throughway was basically down to one lane. So the next day, he said, we're going. So he loads up the team. We're in a bus. We drive to Pittsburgh to play Duquesne. We, We get there 30 minutes after the game was supposed to start. We get off the bus, and our team goes out there and beats Duquesne, and then comes back the next day and played Syracuse and beat them. On a Saturday, I just that that snowstorm. I'll just never forget. Introduce our next guest.
2: Our next guest is uh, you know wh- one of my all-time favorite individuals as a coach and really as a person. Served on our staff back in the early '80s, and he's now the head basketball coach at his alma mater, Andy Kennedy. Andy, good morning, Coach. You there?
10: I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, now we can hear good you. Morning,
10: guys. Oh. Yeah, perfect.
2: You know, Andy, I got to start off. Uh, you've been at UAB for three years, seventy-eight and twenty-five. NIT finals last year, and I know there's a guy up in heaven looking down. Your former coach has got to be extremely proud of you. Gene well, I, I
10: Certainly, I certainly hope so, Joe. You know, when I came back here. I had a I had a good run at, at Ole Miss, my home state of Mississippi. I was there for 12 seasons. That ended, and uh, I was going to take a step back and and um, and do the TV thing for a year. It ended up being two years, but I could have moved anywhere in the country. My my kids were both in college at the time, and my wife and I had the flexibility to go anywhere. And we chose to move back to Birmingham because it's it's always been our home away from home. And then when this opportunity came up. I I said from day one, my goal was to get this program back to the Gene Bartow standard. And by that, I mean, you know, competing for championships year in and year out and playing significant basketball in the month of March. And fortunately for us, uh, we've been able to do those things.
2: You know, when when UAB and South Alabama had that rivalry going for all those years, I remember we took four or five buses, we'd go to Birmingham and play 16,000, 18,000 people in the Coliseum there. And you guys came down here. It was the same way, and it was an unbelievable rivalry. But I think what made it such a good one, too, was the classic Gene Bartow. I mean, he was he's the reason I got to South Alabama when I got fired at SIU. And we played uh, UAB at that particular time in a classic in Missouri, and he's the one that opened the door for me to get this job.
10: Well, I, I, I remember those games well. I, you know, as a player – I was there uh, during the Jeff Hodge, Junie Lewis era, you know, uh, the, oh, yeah. the, the golden era of, of, of USA basketball. And so I remember those games going down to the old Coliseum and 10,000 people. And at that time, we just built Bartow Arena, and we would come back to Bartow Arena, and it'd be sellouts and, and two quality teams going at it. I, Richie and I have had a number of conversations. We played last year, if you remember, right, I here in Birmingham. and. And and it's something that, that we both want to do long-term to get the series back. Us changing conferences, you know, them, the Sun Belt changing, adding games to league play. We hadn't been able to work out the, the semantics yet, but uh, that's something that I want to rekindle because I think it's good for both programs.
1: Hey, Andy, it's Lee Shervaney, and good morning. How you doing?
10: Hey, Lee, I'm great. You?
1: Oh, wonderful. When you bring up Gene Bartow, like Joe, I can't say enough about him. So, in 1976 he's coaching ucla rutgers team that i was aligned with we went to the final four we opened with michigan they beat us and in those days they had the game for third place and besides working the broadcast i also had to do pre-game interview and i and i used to when i met gene later on at uab and really got to know him i always thanked him for this so there i was ucla played indiana and indiana won and if you as everybody knows indiana went undefeated and they eventually beat michigan it's the last time a, a team went undefeated during the whole season so ucla lost a game and i went back in the in the interview room because i i wanted to wait till the media was done with gene bartow so i could ask him if i could do my pregame then all right because we had a the consolation game back then the third place game Well, I'm telling you, that that guy looked like he had lost his family. I mean, it it was just devastating that he had lost that game. And I went up to him afterwards. I said, Coach, if you don't mind, would you do a few minutes with me? Even after going through that press conference, he did. And I, I thanked him profusely and really got to know him at UAB. What a great person. Did he ever get upset in practice at all? Did he ever lose his cool?
10: lost his cool you know coach didn't curse uh but he would the the worst he would say and he said it to me many times he'd say lord andy you're a prima donna and you know what he was right uh he 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 was an incredible competitor uh as you said you know this guy's had a hall of fame uh, coaching career won a ton of games Took multiple teams to the Final Four. You know, he took Memphis to the Final Four, and you just referred to the UCLA run. He had an incredible success. Took UAB to the Elite Eight. Um, But what people remember him most by is not his incredible accomplishments as a coach, but how he was as a person, how he impacted people uh, just on a personal level, and that speaks volumes of, of his life.
1: You know, we, I was doing a South Alabama UAB game. I don't know if you were on the team back then. They were playing at the old Civic Center, and I remember Gene Bartow went up to Cliff Ellis uh, prior to the game and said, Cliff, do any of the chairs here not have gum underneath it? Because every time he'd <laughs> lift the chair, is, there'd be gum underneath it.
10: Oh, uh, it's funny.
1: Coach, let's, let's go to your team now. You've
2: got one of the all-time top players in the, in the state of Alabama, and especially – you know McGill, tulin and uh, Mobile, and I watched him play probably half a dozen or more times. Tell us about Barry Dunning and how he's going to fit into your program.
10: Well, we're excited to have Barry back in his home state, representing UAB. You know, he's a very talented player, two-time Player of the Year, back to back in the state of Alabama, and got an opportunity to go and play in the SEC at Arkansas. Uh, learned a lot from that experience, but he he just wanted a greater role, you know, and in this transfer portal era that we're in, Joe, it's, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's roster management, kids come, kids go, and that's just the way that it's going to be moving forward. But we were fortunate to get Barry back uh, to his home state. Tremendous kid really works at his game. You know, we've been at it now for a few weeks in the summer. We can have access with our team in limited periods throughout the summer. So we've, we've been able to interact, um, uh, uh, for a few practices now, and I'm really, I'm really excited about Barry's future. Again, tremendous kid comes from a great family, works hard, wants to be a good player, and I think he'll certainly accomplish that at UAB.
2: You know, his mom played basketball for us at South Alabama; she was a pretty good player. Uh,
10: How about that? So Small world.
2: Good, good, good bloodlines. Andy, uh, conference. No, let me go first. In the you, you were in the finals of the NIT last year. Um, do you like that format that the NIT now versus going to New York, were, you know it was for many, many years? You know what? Not, not
10: especially, uh, Joey. This is the first time. You know the NIT, and you know this, but for the listeners, you know the NIT is older than the NCAA tournament. That right. used to be the pinnacle, and then obviously the NCAA tournament has taken that over. When when the NCAA bought the NIT, because back when I played, the NIT was its own entity. And it was really chaotic. I'll tell you a quick story. My my first year of eligibility, I played out of high school for the late, great Jim Valvano at North Carolina State, was a part of an ACC tournament championship team, transferred myself back in the days that you had to sit out a year, sat out, and my first year of eligibility at UAB, 1988-89, we played in the NIT. And back in those days, if you remember, you, there was no bracket. You basically would play one team and then uh, they would see who drew the best and what was the best matchup, and they would tell you when and where you're playing next. So, we 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 open up that 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 NIT with a home game against a really good Georgia Southern team. We beat them. We then were sent to Richmond, Virginia, against Dick Tarrant and the Richmond Spiders team that had beat would had come off a Sweet 16 appearance by beating Indiana the year prior. We beat them on a last-second shot, and so we flew back home. No charters in those days, as you know. So we. We get up and we commercial home, good old Eastern Airlines through Atlanta, and we land in Birmingham, and we're no we're no sooner back to campus than we get the call that we're playing at UConn the next night. So we literally turned right back around, went to the airport, flew to Hartford, and actually beat UConn the very next night to go to the first NIT Final Four in UAB's history. So uh, I'd like to say all that uh, – this is the first year that the finals were not in Madison Square Garden, and I, and and you know everybody, no one will turn down a, tr- a trip to Vegas. That was great, and they did a great job running the tournament. But I certainly missed the opportunity for for my guys to have the opportunity to experience Madison Square Garden.
2: Oh, and that that would be. Uh, I remember Mark in the when he was at Alabama, they went to the NIT and got in that Final Four up there. Uh, coach, tell me about the your you know your conference, American Athletic Conference. And how do you perceive that?
10: Well, you know, it's the first year we we just we just joined as of July first. Really excited about the opportunities that it presents. Uh, it's a league that 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 it, you know, when you got Memphis, it's going to rekindle that uh, that rivalry. You know, talk you talked about the UAB South Alabama rivalry. Well, UAB and Memphis goes way back as well. So we're really excited about rekindling that rivalry. Uh, you know, Florida Atlantic. The the CUSA probably had its best year. I shouldn't say probably. Without doubt, had its best year uh, last season. You know, in postseason, the league was eighteen and three. You know, us in North Texas played in the NIT finals. FAU makes the Final Four. Charlotte won the CBI. So uh, a really really good league overall. It was rated tenth overall of all conferences, which is the highest it's ever been ranked. And six of those members, us, FAU and North Texas, which I just mentioned, are all joining uh, the AAC, uh, excited about the exposure, the national footprint, the opportunities that that league's going to provide. And I think that ultimately, you know, we'll, we'll have a chance to be a multi-bid league. And as a coach, that's exciting.
2: You know, let me ask you another question on football, because for a long time you guys didn't have it and we didn't have it. How has that affected your program?
10: Well, I think certainly, you know, it, it's the driver as it relates to all of this conference realignment, as you well know. And, uh, you know, the UAB football store is an amazing one. It, it started from scratch. You know, Coach Barto had this vision. Here he is, a basketball guy. He was at the forefront of pushing from day one to get UAB football because he understood without it, your your options are going to be more limited as it relates to the day and age we live now with conference realignment. Uh, they, they killed the program for, I guess, a season or two. Um, and then it coming back, led by Bill Clark, who did a tremendous job. And now we have a new coach in Trent Dilfer, who I've had the opportunity to spend some time with, really excited about his vision moving forward into the American Athletic Conference. We we opened up the protective stadium downtown Birmingham, one of the nicest facilities in all of college football. There, there can't be a nicer stadium that only seats around 50,000 which is a, the perfect size but there can't be a nicer stadium in all of college football at that size uh and and I'm, I'm excited about what Trent will do with the program moving forward and we understand listen as i said earlier i was in the sec as a head coach for 12 years and i understand the importance of having success in football most especially in the south
1: hey andy let me ask you something go back to your days at uab did you have freedom to shoot any time you wanted
10: you know, I I, I did. Uh, I, Coach was pretty pretty liberal in, in giving me the opportunity to shoot. Hell, if he didn't let me shoot, why would he have me in the game? I wasn't <laughs> great at anything else. Uh, but I, I understood pretty quickly back to his competitive spirit. If I made it, he was uh, he was okay with my shot selection. If if, if I missed it, I would uh, I would typically he would pull out that stat sheet and let me know about it.
1: And I also want to go back. You brought, I had forgotten you had played for Jim Valvano. And of course, I knew him from the Rutgers connection. What was it like playing for him? You know, he was very flamboyant and uh, very charismatic. What was he like as a coach?
10: You know what, more than anything, Lee, I think he was a true trailblazer as it relates to the coaching industry. Yeah, When I played for him, 86-87 season, he was not only the head coach, but he was the athletic director, obviously. And then I came and, and played for Coach Bartu, who had the, the same two titles. But that was unusual back in those days for a basketball coach to also be the AD. He was one of the first that I can remember, that really uh, worked uh, off the court as it related to doing endorsements. Where there, he was big into the Nike back in the days, back in the '80s. But he also had his own company, and he would—he had a number of different products he was pushing. Uh, he was, as you said, uh, he was a salesman, salesman, uh, and he did an incredible job of opening up, opening up off court opportunities that that coaches to this day have certainly taken advantage of tremendous in-game coach very very passionate um it was a pleasure to have the opportunity to learn from him
2: coach here's a question i've got for you we watched the nba you know everything filters down it seems in the nba and we've gone away from getting a post guy you've got the joker out in denver but he's got that ability to pass and shoot the threes but are we getting away in college that we're not recruiting the big, strong, slow guy in the post area and you're opening up the middle where it's all more three-point shooting?
10: Well, I, I think, uh, you know, everything is space and pace now. Um, and But I think the Joker, you know, as you said, Joe, I, I think we're kind of re- re- reverting back. Even though Joker's got the ability to to do – to stretch the floor, he's an incredible passer. What what a unicorn of a player in, in his abilities to really impact you in all all phases. But if you think about it, you know, two of the three best players or maybe two of the five best players in the league are, are Joker and Joel Embiid, another uh, more conventional five man. Um, I think the, the, the big man is coming back in vogue. I think because of the Joker, people are going to have to have size in order to match up with him and Embiid. Uh, And and I think, you know, for us at UAB, over my three years, I had a a Birmingham native, a transfer from Clemson, a young man named Trey Jemison, who, ironically enough, is playing lights out right now with the Phoenix Suns in their summer league, and he's got a real opportunity to make that roster. And he was a traditional five man, never shot threes, was a block-to-block guy, and, and was a tremendous player for us and really impacted you know, us having the ability to to capture a conference championship, to get to the NCAA tournament, to get to the NIT finals, and to win 78 games over three years. So I, I think the big man's coming back in vogue.
1: Hey, Andy, uh, we're up against the clock. I can't thank you enough. It's always great to talk basketball with you. Wish you success in the new league, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon.
10: Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Great to catch up.
1: Andy Kennedy, uh, former Jag assistant, now after making s- several stops, let's see, at Old Business as a head coach, now with the UAB. Barry Dunning's there, so we'll be following. And, and uh,
2: you know, they've been mentioning his name at West Virginia. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. His name was prominently mentioned as a possibility. Now they intermediate named the interim, right? And Andy or the uh, Bobby Huggins' story, leave or oh, show entire show. What's going on down there?
1: Absolutely. All right, closing ceremony is coming up uh, for Joe and Nick. I'm Lee Cervani, and we're coming right back with closing ceremonies.
9: Hey, this is Stuart Sink from the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNSB Sports Radio and Mobile.
1: We've set the table for Dan Patrick's show, Chuck Oliver at one, uh, Corey and Michael Braun are coming on at three. Nick, come join us. You're an NBA guy. Joe Gottfried's an NBA guy. Okay. Go after him. What do you what got mean? for him? Go after him. Well, I mean, with a question. You you guys are the NBA experts. And by the way, what's the podcast today? Is it baseball today at 530? Yes. Live? Mm-hmm. All right. Baseball. But Nick's our podcast guy. Uh, in season tournament, Joe, what do you think? Is that something's got your interest in season tournament for you about I, NBA?
2: Yeah, I think it could create interest. Uh, I I think it's a pretty good idea. You got to keep doing some certain things. For example, the NBA, uh, you know, have re- recently have heard, you know, their TV market is way down in terms of what it's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, attendance is good at the games but you got to create just keep doing something to create more interest and I think at NC's tournament in my opinion would be really be good I don't I know agree. my cohort Nick what he thinks
3: no I, I I agree I think you know anything to get more people watching uh, more incentive for the players to play hard uh, to get that cash prize if they win that in-season <laughs> tournament and it is all part of the regular season. So, yeah, it's just a new way to kind of frame regular season games and add a new level of interest.
2: Lee, how about, you know, on Christmas Day where the NBA plays and trying to get the great matchups,
1: how about Denver and the Spurs? The two big guys. They got a problem now with that. You remember when the, the, the Christmas Day used to be exclusively NBA? But when the NFL moved in last year, and I don't know if what day that falls on, if the NFL's got a game or two but the end, the NFL just blew them away when it came to the ratings. Well, the
2: NFL blows everybody
1: away. True, I mean there's true. no
2: question that rating is in the big in the in the NBA rating TV-wise are down. More so than they I guess that they've ever been. But yeah. we live in a world of football, college and NFL
1: pretty much. So, and that's why I think the I NBA one of the reasons they're doing this is because somehow some way to maybe get a little interest because you got college football coming down the stretch you got the nfl getting to the playoffs so they figure maybe the in-season tournament will give them a little pizzazz And i think i agree with that that and it's good to try it see hey the other day this gets away that you mentioned about andy kennedy you linked him to west virginia all right yes uh nick alvarez who joined us monday right nick 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 was uh nick was on with us they has got a story now out on AL.com that Alabama offensive coordinator Tommy Reese is a candidate to watch for. West Virginia. Northwestern football.
2: Oh, Northwestern.
1: Northwestern football, Tommy Reese. And, you, you know, that's why that Notre Dame quarterback wound up going there to uh, Alabama, Buckner. So, again, they've named an interim coach. Is there time? To get a head coach in before no, your no, first they, game, no,
2: you couldn't take a, somebody away from their program here. We're, get, you know, we're getting ready
1: to start. No, it'll be the interim for one year. Yeah, but you remember when Dean Smith resigned way back, and he resigned, I, I think, a week before the season, and he did it so his assistant coach Bill Guthrie could take over. He did, and that couldn't. I don't think it'll
2: happen in football, but it might. it would be interesting to see follow this whole Northwestern situation. I think we have got. The West Virginia, Bobby Huggins, and the you know Northwestern—it's going to be very, very interesting where
1: they're going. Aren't you glad you didn't have to deal with stuff like this? Oh, I would, or enjo- did you? I would or enjoy. Or did it. you?
2: No, but I would have enjoyed those things. No, you yeah. would. No, yeah. that's not. It's all a, part of it.
1: You got to be able to handle that, Lee. Yeah, no, I know that. I know that. But I mean, you don't, you don't want to see coaches. uh oh, who, I know that. Who, I'm who just fired because right. of bullying or hazing. That, right. You know, I don't. You hope that stuff's not on your watch.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I followed that West Virginia thing really close. But I think, you know, Bobby Huggins is definitely in trouble. Like guess said, he didn't know he never resigned, but he told the team he resigned. <laughs> and his wife sent Wait. the letter of resignation. You, you you're know, right. Yeah, the wife He sent lives the re- with her. Yeah. He's, he doesn't know she, she's sending a letter. You mean she never said a word to him that I'm sending a letter that you're resigning?
1: You got breakfast coming up with your brother, Mike. And Team uh, Focus today I, at Spring Hill. Yes, That's great stuff. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Joe. I'll be in touch. Okay, thanks, thanks Lee. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Nick I'll thank see you tomorrow. All right, great job on the board getting all of our guests today. I really appreciate everything. Stay tuned now for the Dan Patrick Show on WNSP and WNSP.com.